What's up, tag team? Guys, I'm really excited for y'all to get to listen to this next show. I had on Chief Dave Robertson from FireEdge.com. We got to have a great conversation. I got to ask Dave a lot of hard questions about being a fire chief, some of the struggles of being a fire chief, everything from who we're hiring, what we're hiring, all the different things that really have piqued my interest when it comes to today's fire service and the direction that we're headed. Dave has a great insight when it comes to all the different struggles of being a fire chief, uh, both in the United States and in Canada. And he shared some of that. We talked some of the history of the fire service, some of the traditions, things that, that he likes about the fire service, things that he thinks that we can improve with the fire service. It was a great conversation. I just really can't wait for y'all to listen. Also, I want to continue to thank our sponsors of the show. That's what's allowing me to get these guests on and be able to grow the show, be able to provide a better uh, just overall show for the listeners and for all you guys out there that support us. I continue to thank all of you. It really does mean the world. Y'all go show our sponsors some love. We have uh, some really great firefighter businesses that are backing us. I want to also thank First Form for partnering with me on sponsoring this show. Guys, if you're like me and you have really a struggle when it comes to working out, getting proper nutrition, getting all the different supplements that you need. You know, one of the biggest things I struggle with is getting my protein intake. I'm a bigger guy, so if I'm doing my protein intake the way it's supposed to be done, then I need to eat a lot of grams of protein a day. And on the go, like I am working uh, in the Houston area where we make a lot of runs and all that stuff, I'm not always eating the best meals, uh, especially with running the kids and doing everything on days off. So I really rely on the different protein shakes. And one of my biggest go-to is the uh, post-workout stack from First Form. It's their Formula One and their Ignition. Guys, it's hands down one of the best proteins that I've ever had. The flavors are great. It mixes great. And it doesn't have a bunch of fillers and all the trash in it. So for those of you that are working out, I've already seen a bunch of you have gone on and actually ordered products from First Form and really helped us out with that. Guys, thank you so much for that. Everyone else, y'all go to uh, the link that'll be on this webs or on this uh, episode for the website, y'all follow that link. Go show some love, order some products, give it a try, and guys, enjoy the show. I'm going to also take a second to tell y'all about one of our show sponsors. That's Norse Fire Equipment out of North Dakota. Whenever I first started talking about having sponsors for the show, I really wanted it to be genuine businesses that are firefighter owned and operated and people that have good business ethics and have a good mission. Matt Vercota reached out to me from Norse Fire Equipment. He and I have spoken and, and talked back and forth a little bit, got to know each other, and he seems to have fit that criteria. He's a full-time firefighter and founded this company in 2020 to provide a good place for firefighters to be able to get equipment that they needed to be able to do their job and have it at a good price and just good quality equipment instead of some of these places that want to sell you real cheap crap for y'all go over to norsefireequipment.com coupon code cowboy5 that'll get you five percent off on your online orders all right guys on with the show hey guys i'm gonna take a second and tell you all about first line fire service training it's a badass page on facebook i encourage every single one of you to go and follow them Dennis is a retired fire chief. He's been a huge supporter of our show for since the very beginning. He's believed in third alarm cowboys and our mission of making firefighters better. 
Dennis also has the same mission of being able to train firefighters, make them better. He's using all of his years of experience of 20 plus years, plus his military background to offer training ideas. He travels all around the country, speaking at different conferences, trying to help guys get better when it comes to their tactical ability, when it comes to their physical ability and everything in between. He's really pushing things to the limits, especially for an older guy that's retired. He's still getting up every single day putting his gear on, going out in the driveway, doing crazy-ass workouts that most of us couldn't even handle. He's still getting out there getting it done. He also does a weekly training video on first-line fire service training, offering up when every type of uh, tactical and operational skills that he's learned throughout his career through working from other people. One thing that's really impressive to me about Dennis is that he – owns the fact that most of the things that he has learned and sharing are things that he learned from other people when he's just passing that on. That's something that he and I have in common. He's taken all the information he took from his career and sharing it on to the next generation to make the next generation solid and better firefighters. That's a great mentality to have. He's the kind of guy that people should be listening to when it comes to learning about what to do in the fire service with their career, with their tactics, and with their operations. So y'all go check them out on Facebook, First Line Fire Service Training, LLC. Send Dennis a message that you heard about his business from our show. If you're putting on any kind of training conference, Dennis is the guy that you need to contact. Get him in the door and let him share his knowledge to make the people in your area that are attending the conference better. And just know that... I support his business and he supports mine. And that's the kind of people that we need in the fire service to make us all better and stronger. Dispatch to all units. This is a third alarm. Switch to the TAC channel. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the TAC channel. I'm your host, Heath Meredith. This is the Third Alarm Cowboys podcast. This is the podcast for firefighters where we talk about real-life situations, stuff in your station like leadership and promotions, stuff in your personal life like relationships and your finances. Some things may be a little controversial, but that's real life, and that's what we're going to talk about on this show. Uh, I'm going to just jump straight to it because I'm excited to get this conversation going. I, uh, I have a special guest that's on the show he reached out to me several weeks ago whenever I was talking about wanting to bring on some sponsors and some uh, advertisements for firefighter-owned businesses. Uh, Dave reached out and wanted to see what it was all about, see basically what I had to offer and what he had to offer, and we had a great conversation and basically have decided to uh, to align and, and try to bring his his business up with some more exposure and then just help me out on the, on the financial side of being able to grow the third alarm cowboys and all of the different needs that I have when it comes to uh, to the capital that I need to raise for that. So we've locked arms and really just kind of talking to him and getting to know him a little bit. I had to bring him on the show. His uh, his story is great. His um, his business is is phenomenal. It completely aligns with everything that I believe in and what this third alarm cowboys movement is all about. And so I just really wanted to. Bring him on here and let him explain who he is, where he comes from, and all that good stuff to y'all so that whenever you're calling and, and checking out his business and looking for what the services he has to offer, you're going to know exactly who it is that you're talking to and dealing with. 
So, guys, without further ado, I'm going to bring on uh, Chief Dave Robinson. Wow, that is uh, <laughs> a hell of an introduction there, buddy. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. Um, and, and thanks for the chance to be on here. I, it's funny because right before you started recording, I was asking you, hey, are we recording yet? Because just like our first conversation, it's like we picked up the phone and just started shooting it. And I, and I love that. Um, you know, those great, those great organic conversations. Uh, so, uh, you know, to, to all, to everybody listen to the Cowboys podcast, uh, I, <laughs> I, I'm a little floored that, that he said, yeah, come on on board and be a sponsor. So I'm, I'm psyched. I really am. Um, so thanks. And I got a, I got a question for you, Heath. Am I allowed to swear on this podcast? Oh man, absolutely. All day long. I don't give a shit. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Cause, uh, because I've I've been in trouble with that one in the past, but uh, you know, in trying to keeping it real, it's it's uh, it slips out every once in a while. That's for sure. Um, <laughs> no, the only two people yeah, that I got to watch my, uh, my watch my mouth around was my granny, and she's passed away, and my mom, and my mom knows exactly how I am whenever I'm uh, not in her company, and then sometimes even when I'm in her company and I'm pissed off, she knows that words are going to slip, and uh, so yeah, we talk real on this show, and if it's words that you would use in a fire station or words you'd use sitting around a campfire, it is absolutely welcome on this show. I love it. I love it. You know, I, my mom, so my mom is this feisty uh, little French Canadian lady. Um, and, uh, and I, she doesn't, she never really swore, right? Um, not that she was necessarily proper, but she, you know, hell this and damn that. And it was no big deal, but I'll tell you just twice in my life, she dropped an F-bomb. <laughs> and when your mom drops an F-bomb, like, I mean, it just, it carries the weight of the world on it. Like that, that, how you drop an F-bomb is twice in your life. Because then it, man, did that mean something. Um, and i got to tell you, both times she did, I was just being a shithead. Like, it was, totally, it was all on me. I actually caused my mom to drop an F-bomb. So, yeah, it's something I'm not incredibly proud of. But, yeah, there it is. Well, you're a terrible human. No wonder you ended up a firefighter. <laughs> no kidding. No kidding. I, you know, I wasn't a firefighter at first. Uh, I was, I was a suit, um, like your brothers, right? I was, uh, I was, we were talking about your brothers earlier. Uh, I was a suit, uh, at first. Um, I, uh, was in and out of marketing firms and ad agencies all around Canada. I was in, uh, Toronto and Ottawa, Montreal, and I ended up getting, uh, uh, um, out to Vancouver. Uh, that's a great city, by the way, if you ever get a chance. Uh, so I get ahead of time and out to Vancouver and I realized, what the hell am I wearing a suit for? This is really not my thing. So, uh, so I became a ski instructor and, uh, and, and this is no word of a lie. He, um, I finished out my first season as a ski bum and didn't quite put together that there's, there's not a lot of snow in the summertime. <laughs> so I didn't know what to do. <laughs> no kidding. I swear <laughs> to God. So I didn't know what to do. I'm like, I got, I got to do got to do something with my life. And I went to the town hall, this little mountain town I was living in. I went to the town hall and this little old lady was working uh, behind the counter. And I just, I remember stumbling across my words, just saying, I just, you know, is there anything I can get involved in? Is there anything in this town that, you know, are there events or, and she says, well, you know, the library's looking for volunteers. I'm like, okay, well, I, I'm a bit of a nerd. So that, you know, okay. She says, oh, and it's Wednesday. Uh, the fire department's looking for volunteers. 
and uh, and boom, and there it was, <laughs> right? So that's what started uh, it all. Yeah, so it, isn't that you know you you never know that shit's happening to you <laughs> until you look back on it, right? It's like what am I doing in Vancouver? I'm on the west coast. My family is is in the middle of Canada. Um, yeah, we in Ontario, right above Michigan and, and New York, and. And uh, what am I doing on the West Coast? I'm all alone. I had a I had a relationship that fell apart. I had I didn't have a career, and I became a ski bum. And and I'm like, what am I going to do with my life? And two years later, um, I'm in uniform uh, as a pro. Told I had a uh, as as my first training officer first said this saying, I had a horseshoe up my ass. So. <laughs> So yeah, so that's how I got into it, actually. That's hilarious. But, uh, yeah, yeah, isn't that funny how life bounces you around like that? It's it's crazy. How did you become a firefighter? You said never asked me that. Uh, what well, the cowboys uh, know? It's uh well, it's a it's a family business. Um, my brother is uh is a firefighter was now he's working in the plants. Uh, I got uncles that are firemen. All the way back to uh, to my grandfather was uh, was a firefighter in our local town. He was actually one of the very first paid guys that they have in my uh, in my hometown. The uh, the truck that they have in their museum, he drove in the fifties. Uh, he I think he hired on in nineteen fifty one with that fire department, and then he ended up actually leaving. In I think he did about nine years there, and then left and went down to after. I know everybody's seen and and possibly had the the classes when it comes to like uh, ammonium nitrate and all that stuff for hazmat. Whenever Texas City blew up, when the plants in Texas City blew up, I don't know if you've ever seen that. Oh, yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah. He uh, okay, isn't that the one they always show on the like? This is what a blevy is. Do what now? Is is that is that you know when you're taking hazmat and and they're trying to show a video? They show videos of blevies. Yes. Um, well, so it was a it was a big ship. It was a ammonium nitrate ship that was down there, and I, it's been so long since I've actually re- remember that specific incident because I work in there in Houston. There's actually been several um, major ship explosions, whether in the port of Houston or or um, any of the ammonia plants. But anyway, they um, they had a huge explosion. I mean, it literally leveled all of Texas City. It killed a shitload of people. And um, so he went down in the 60s and was actually part of the fire department down there getting the plants going back. And he was a welder by trade or became a welder by trade and actually helped, you know, rebuilding and working in the plants. He stayed down there probably, I want to say, about 10 years. And then in the early 80s, he moved back to East Texas and opened up his own welding business and stuff like that. But, yeah, early in life, right out of high school and everything, he was a, he was a firefighter. And so I just grew up. You know, hearing that and then going to the museum and seeing pictures. And then, uh, you know, a lot of the, the pictures that are actually in the museum at, uh, at my local department came from my dad. He was a, uh, a professional photographer and went uh, basically just at every fire and wreck and all that stuff. He had his camera and was taking pictures and all that stuff. And so it just, I, I literally was raised in it. I mean, I was, um, I was in a fire station all the time for holidays i mean you name it we were at the station i remember uh my dad was at work and called uh we lived in in station one's district there in our small town and uh so he called over there at that station and and asked the guys hey we all run over there and and come help my mom our water heater busted 
and flooded the house. So I remember the guys coming. I, I was little, but I remember them coming and, and helping my mom squeegee out the squeegee out all the water. And my mom was just crying because I mean they were, you know, essentially newlyweds, but they didn't have two cents to rub together. And I just remember those guys hugging yeah. my mom and telling my mom it was all going to be okay, and that you know they if they all had to kick in and and get a, get us a new water here, whatever they need to do, the guys would do. So I was raised around that, and that was the brotherhood that I was literally brought into. I remember them coming by on the truck whenever it was a uh, you know my birthday or my brother's birthday they'd show up on the truck and and come in I, I mean i remember having like a specific firefighter birthday and just all that good stuff that uh you know they make movies of but i was actually raised around that going on on hunting trips with my dad and all of his fire buddies and going to the lake or going to the beach just all all that brotherhood stuff and so i i mean from a very young age this is all i knew i wanted to do i tried out several other things chasing money but uh <laughs> it, it's kind of one of those deals that pretty much at the end of the day you can be making i mean i've made a shitload of money in my life and of course i spent every dime of it but um just wasn't ever happy it just it sucked that no matter what no matter how much money you made no matter how many toys you bought uh how much beer you drank how much whiskey you drank or you know whatever women you chased it's still just i was never i never liked it i never it just you know, and didn't scratch that itch that I had. So, um, that's where I'm at, where I'm at now. Um, and my, my career has had a lot of ups and downs and made a lot of moves, done, done some good decisions and bad decisions and all that, that I, I try to talk about on the show and try to educate folks. But all in all, it's, it's really just being in the fire department is all I've ever really wanted to do. See, I love that legacy stuff. And, and, you know, uh, so I, I split my time between Canada and the States. I'm a Canadian boy, born and raised, and I started my fire career in uh, in British Columbia, Canada. And up until recently, I was back home in Ontario, Canada, but I had most of my career, probably 20 of my 25 years or 22 of my 25 years in the States. So I've really kind of, I've been exposed to both fire cultures, and, and there's good and bad to both, right? We just... It's it's always the it's always the Chevy Chevy versus Ford thing, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> but it's always you know it's uh, and uh, you know there's there's good and bad to both uh, tactically and culturally and um, but one of the cultural things that I really love about the American Fire Service are those great legacy stories where where people are just like you they're brought up in the Brotherhood and they're exposed to it um, you know you really get it like a and you get to taste the culture, like you're so immersed in it. it it's uh, it's a part of your life, um, and uh, and I think I think the old saying uh, that firefighting was the best part time job in the world probably came out of Canada. Um, really, <laughs> so, you know they're they're oh they're you know they're great firefighters, and and I've seen them tactically. They're uh, they're just as serious in Canada as what they are in the states, no question. Uh, the gear is just it's just as good. The training is just as intense. Um, uh, you know, it's not like you cross this magical invisible line at the border and, and fires don't happen and accidents don't happen. And so we're faced with all the same stuff. And we've got a lot of urban centers, right? I mean, Toronto is, uh, Toronto's the Toronto just surpassed Chicago is the third biggest Metro in North America. So we've got a lot of Metro. We've got a lot of towns. Um, but, uh, but there's some differences, and one of the big differences is, for the most part in Canada, 
they work off of four battalions or four platoons instead of three, like most of the states, just places in the states where they got four. But um, uh, And so th- if you're working off a 24-hour shift schedule or break it out over a month, you're working seven 24s a month instead of 10 or 11, depending on the month that you're in. Um, and mandatory overtime is is by law not allowed. So, really? you know, like I remember in California, I, I worked 10 or 11. You know, you get that funky month where it's the, you know, it's that extra week, mm-hmm. the five-week month. And uh, so you're working 11, but then but then you get punched out for, for two and even sometimes three when we were really having a hard time and I was part of the three uh, 24s of, of mandatory overtime. And, and, uh, and all of a sudden, you know, you're working 13 or 14. Um, and, I, you know, and I wonder if... if if it's if it's by working more um, in the states that that's why the culture the fire like all the great stuff in the fire service culture is richer in the states than what it is in Canada. Oh, by like being mm-hmm. around the guys more and stuff. Just being around them and just you just flat out running more calls and you're in the community more and your your hands on the rig more and you know you're exposed to more you know more in service training and. Yeah, and, and you know, it, it's. Uh, uh, I, I'm only going to say it one more time, so I don't sound like I'm being over apologetic to my Canadian brothers and sisters, because because I mean it when I say I do love um, all my Canadian brothers and sisters, and I love the Canadian Fire Service. But but uh, you know, it's just uh, there's just more in the way of fire in the states. I got um, you. It's it's uh, it's totally it's totally different culturally. Well, it's really it's um, as far as being a paid know. profession, it's older in the states, isn't it? Uh, you know, I don't know the answer to that. Actually, I mean, I I just came from a from a really unique situation. Um, I got I got brought in um, kind of as a as a bit of a hired gun. Um, you know, you hear about these new departments uh, every once in a while. It either be two smaller departments and they're being folded into, into one new pro department or, um, or maybe a volunteer department that, you know, the town finally grew enough where they, they roll over and they get, they turn pro. Um, this was five departments into one. Oh, okay. Um, so, so, oh man. I, I'll tell you, that was uh, talk about talking about dealing with five different cultures and, <laughs> sure. uh, and each one of the five, five, Oh my God. And each one of the five departments was a hundred plus years old. Oh, wow. Um, you know? Yeah. So, so I don't know. That's a great question. He said, never thought about it. I just if, didn't know. Uh, Cause you know, the in the, is older. in our, in our fire academies and stuff, you know, you got to learn about Ben Franklin starting the first pay, blah, 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 like all that stuff. So I, I didn't know if maybe in Canada they had, uh, the same, uh, I guess history, recorded history that they beat into your head from the time that you uh, go to fire school and everything. I didn't know if that was a if that was the same type, and that could be sort sort of re- the reasoning for why the tradition. I mean, even day one in the academy, no matter really where you go, as long as you're going to a traditional academy, they're they're beating certain things into you. They're beating brotherhood into you. They're beating uh, the history of the fire service and and. Uh, well, in my time, honor and integrity and all that, like from day one, they're testing you, they're setting you up, they're trying to, you know, either trying to break you or, or teach you a really powerful lesson from day one. And so maybe that's why there is a, a major cultural difference is just from how it starts your very first day. 
Yeah, <laughs> you know, I I wonder, and I and and you know, uh, so how here it is. I'm looking at it right now, um, uh, only because I haven't been sitting at my desk while I talk to you. Um, Halifax, Nova Scotia, uh, had the first Canadian fire department. It was called the Union Fire Club. I love that name, first of all. <laughs> and uh, and that was that was in the 1780s. Oh, okay. Yeah, so so it's fun, you know, it's I'm, I'm sure we could probably blow the whole hour just talking about the cultural differences between Canada and the states. <laughs> and I'm wondering if uh, it right, and uh, and I'm wondering if it's just um, you know we've grown up together, uh, and and we've got more rural and we've got more land and stuff like that. But I mean, Halifax is a flat out; it's a city. Okay, um, so I, I don't know why. That's a. I'm going to have to take a deep dive on that. Ask some people way smarter than I am. Yeah, uh, I was going to say there's <laughs> there's no telling. It's uh well don't don't worry too much because there's like three percent of the listeners of this show are from Canada, so <laughs> you won't uh if if they if they take it the wrong way you won't uh you won't have that big of a crowd coming after you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good, good, yeah. Oh man. Um, yeah, are you, so you've got, you've got 20,000 listeners now, is that right? Yeah, yeah, just, uh, we just broke that number, um, and it's steadily growing. The Facebook page is really what's growing the fastest. I think it's, we've gained like 120, 130-something, uh, really a week for the last, like, month straight. It's just steadily growing, which, I mean, for... I guess if I was a big time Joe Rogan type thing, that would be like, oh, only a hundred. But for me, I'm like, dang, <laughs> I don't even know this many people. So, yeah, yeah the uh, the social media is really growing very quickly, and then um, the listenership. Some episodes, um, I, I don't. I, it's kind of it's kind of kind of strange. Some episodes get, you know, thousands of listeners, whatever thousand something listeners, and then some episodes may get, you know, three hundred to five hundred listeners in the first week or two and and then some episodes take i guess maybe it's the length of the show um before you know it, that it takes people longer to listen to certain shows that take longer because uh, i do have some that are a couple hours long and then i've got some that are 30 minutes long it just kind of depends um so as far as that goes the analytics are really kind of everywhere but yeah i mean it's growing we've got yeah a little over twenty thousand now uh seven almost seven thousand on uh social media so it's pretty. Uh, it's pretty. How do you find like you're managing the social media? You find are you getting, um, you know, because you know I'm on a lot of them, like, like vigilantes and, and trainer guy, and and, uh, and of course and of course they're alarm cowboys, and you know, and there's it's almost always positive stuff, right? I love this. Some you you know you'll drop a quote or somebody will drop a quote uh, from from some great FDMY chief or. Um, uh, or something about fire department culture. And it's like, I love this. This is great. This is positive. I've seen this in my department. Um, but every once in a while, you know, you'll, somebody will throw something out there. That's, uh, that's a hot button. Do you, do you find that you're getting that on your, on your website, on your, uh, Facebook site much or are people acting pretty well? Um, to be honest, if anybody's kind of throwing out the hot button stuff, a lot of times it's me. Um, I will, I, I'll throw out some stuff that, um, 
I really want to see people's reaction. Like I, I asked a question the other day, and I'm on several groups. Honestly, that's what's helped me a lot. There's several groups like from, from the South region, from Florida all the way over to Texas that have pretty pretty big firefighter group pages like the, the trainer die page and stuff like that. And honestly, a lot of those guys, I either have met them or we have some, uh, you know, certain acquaintances that our reputations kind of proceed itself uh, with us, if you will. And so some of these guys, I either know of them or I know them. And so they've given me really free access to post stuff in their pages. And so I, I'm constantly posting, but honestly, a lot of the times I, if there's a hot button question, it's coming from me. Like I asked the other day about picking up stuff and, and cleaning. I, the reason it, and most of my stuff, I mean, I'm a hundred percent organic. This is, I, I'm not, I'm somewhat of a methodical person, but most of the shit that I'm typing or putting on those forums and everything to, uh, to kind of get traction or to get people talking is stuff that just comes to my mind. So the other day I was sitting in my gym in, in my hometown and we, I was literally, it was my wife and I were the only ones in the gym, but we walked in and there was like several sets of dumbbells still sitting out. There was empty water bottles, all that kind of stuff. And it just got me thinking. And I was like, you know, I'm a little, I'm not much of an OCD person, but I'm a little bit when it comes to certain things, like the kitchen needs to be clean at my house, the, um, you know, the, the bathroom needs to be like, I, I just have, there's certain things that bow me and I guess certain things that don't, if you will. But whenever I'm in public, I've always had, I guess because of that firefighter badge, I've always had more of a, I, I don't know what the word would be. I, I've always just had this feeling like I needed to do, I needed to step up and do things and, and always put on a presence that I'm, um, trying to do things the right way. Like, I guess it's a, a self-accountability, if you will. So I was in the gym the other day, saw that. And so I just posted, you know, and, and asking guys. And I was straight up. I was like, don't, I don't want a bullshit answer. I don't want y'all looking like the firefighter hero. I want to know literally how y'all think. So if you see weights out of place or left out, do you put them up? Uh, whether you're at home or at the station or whatever. If you see um, a shopping cart that's in the middle of the parking lot, somebody didn't put it in one of the little corral things. Uh, what was another? Oh, skid marks in the damn toilet. And, and my reason for that is because a lot of people, a lot of people are like, "Ooh, gross." And I'm like, "Well, no. This is how you need to think about it." And a lot of guys I don't think understand this. So yeah, they may not be your skid marks, but say, and especially at the station, I, I, and I don't know how it is at everybody's stations, but at you know places I've worked throughout my career, there was a lot of traffic in and out of the station of of people coming by. Um, politicians coming by, board members coming by. There's just always constant people coming around the station. Mm-hmm. So, so say you know you you're the one that takes the shit uh, and leaves the skin marks. Well, then you walk out, whatever, and then a commissioner comes in right after. They see it. Well, it's on you because they saw you come out of there. Well, the other caveat to that is even if you're not the one that left them, but you still leave them when you came out of that bathroom and the commissioner comes in behind you, it's still you. <laughs> you're still the guilty yeah. party. Yeah. So even though it's nasty or whatever, because I saw a lot of guys were commenting like, ooh, gross, you know, whatever. I'm like, well, guys, what you don't understand is even though it wasn't you and you might have used the urinal, just because you came out of that door last, it's still on you. And so that's why I asked that question. I love that question. And, 
Well, you know, and of course, some of the people, even if they're not, you know, pulling the Boy Scout thing to try to say the right thing, usually the people that are going to comment that they would put it away are commenting because they care enough to comment. That's very right? true. Yeah, so that's the, very the true. Ones that, right? So the, a lot of the ones that would walk by the barbells or, or, the, or the shit stains um, are also the ones that are scrolling through because, I mean, who's going to call themselves out, really? Uh, <laughs> they, they know. But, you know, my thing, my thing about, I, I never understood how people missed the pretty simple math. Um, you know, that gear, that rig, that house, it's not fucking yours, right? It's, it's not yours. You know, it's, it's somebody else's. It, 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 and I know it sounds corny, and I know it sounds Norman Rockwell and Boy Scouty, and, but I swear to God, I feel it in my heart. It is, this belongs to the people that are walking out there in the street. Treat it like that. Right. That's I, I don't know how yeah. many times God, I, I, I posted a couple I, like over the years, cause I've been on, on Facebook pretty close to when it started. So I've posted over the years, different times. One place was twice at the same house that I was visiting. And I go in and, you know, do my business. I go into a stall and I look down and sure there's toilet paper there. And, and the roll is kind of uh, unwound where part of the, part of the toilet paper is sitting on the ground and, and there's two empty rolls sitting on top and one of the double rolls is empty. You know how they kind of fill it with two rolls so there's one empty rolls over the other. Mm-hmm. And like, I mean, this, you know, this is an, God, God, that drives me nuts. And I posted three times about leaving that kind of, leaving it, walking by and leaving that kind of stuff. But I posted something recently that that filled my heart. It was one of the most positive little things that I saw, which was probably how you were treated, how you were as a kid, which is why you see things the way that you do, like you did in the gym, right? So I'm in the, I'm in the bathroom, and, uh, and I'm actually at uh, the, the, I was doing something for the town. So it's kind of a, it's a public area. It's part of the community center, like a, like a lot of uh, uh, fire administrations are. Oh, okay. And um, and I'm in the right, and in the bathroom, and I come out to wash my hands, and, and a little kid, I don't know, four years old, and their dad had just finished washing their hands, and the kid had to jump up to grab the hanging paper towel stuff, right? So to jump up, pull down paper towels, dry their hands, throw out the paper towels, and then jump out again and pull out another long wad, right? And, and you could see the dad going, you know, kid, what, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> are, are you just being a shithead? And the kid says, no, dad, if another little kid comes in, now they don't have to jump up. Oh, wow. And, and I'm like, oh, right? I'm like, and this kid is four, and they're already caring and thinking about somebody else, right? Uh, they're, already, they're already respecting somebody else. That's um, awesome. And I, I just... So I, so I posted that, um, you know, where does that get lost between four years old and being 25 and, and making 75 grand a year, but you can't, you can't fill the toilet paper roll. Drives me nuts. A hundred percent. I mean, that's, me nuts. well, uh, we did kind of jump over, um, basically, you know, what your, uh, what your history is. I mean, that, well, you were explaining, you were in the process of explaining you were from Canada and all that good stuff. Well, what, 
tell everybody just kind of what your uh, what your uh, what your credentials are and and how long you've been in. That way we can uh, we can really dive into some some uh, tough stuff, and they'll be like, oh shit, okay, yeah, I need to listen to this guy. <laughs> Yeah, man, ask me some hard questions, absolutely, because I am not afraid to 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 stand on my own my own values and 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 thoughts and stuff. Um, so my credentials, well, <laughs> well, mostly I'm 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 kind of full of shit. Uh, so that's credential number one. But uh, so I, yeah, just left um just left a position, uh, deputy chief of training, uh, for a department, um. Really interesting position. Great, great. Uh, what a great learning experience for me. Like I said, it's five departments into one. Um, and so culturally, it was just. I, and, and the chief that hired me said flat out, "I need you to come in for a year, inject fire service culture into this situation, um, show people what's really happening out there, bring us up to some current stuff in terms of training as well, and help us." build a training program, but I was brought on kind of like a cultural mandate, I guess. Um, so I just left that. Um, I left for really good reasons. Uh, uh, I have a fiance who uh, has stuck it out in California while I've been around Canada trying to, you know, getting my, getting my shit done. Um, and, uh, and to be absolutely frank, I mean, I needed to come back to California and reconnect uh, because she is uh, she is a champ. Um, and uh, yeah, so that's that's kind of why I left that position. I punched out my year as promised, and I'm in California right now. Uh, but I started, like I said, in British Columbia, Canada. Um, met somebody from California, so I uh, who at one point was my wife. Um, so I moved down to California. I was in Tiburon, California, um, Marin County, basically. So if you cross the Golden Gate Bridge, you land in Marin County. Oh, okay. All right. Um, yeah, yeah. And it's a, it's a huge county. It's, it's massive. Uh, so I was in Tiburon. Um, nicest firehouse I've ever been in, by the way, Heath. They used to, so Tiburon's got, it's got more money than God. Right. You should, if if anybody wants to look up Tiburon Station 11, we used to call it the ski lodge. Um, It was three stories high, uh, separate dining hall. Everybody had um, their own bunk room. So across three shifts, they'd have three beds to a room. So if you were on shift A, you had, everybody had their own bunk room. Great old three-story pole. Um, so I love the one of the few places that I've been in that had a pole. Um, yeah, it was just it was just uh, something else. I'll tell you. Um, so I was Tiburon. I moved over to uh, city of Alameda, which is basically Oakland. Oh um, shit! Okay. different animal. <laughs> I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Well, different. Uh, I had a small interim there where I was in Stockton. Uh, work in a medic unit, uh, medic 20. And, uh, and at one point, you know, like we were one of the busiest medic units in California. So, and I think that was really an important short step for me, uh, because it really got me prepped for the Oakland area. Um, you know, the call volume and the types and, you know, uh, lots of gunfire, lots of gang stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and some of the, some of the, and some of the sadder things in life, you know, all the, 
you know, all the homeless stuff and whatnot. But I punched out a lot of time there. Um, I have met, uh, gosh, 13 years, I think. Um, became a training officer uh, over in Napa County uh, under under Cal Fire uh, with, with Dry Creek LaCroix. Um, so I was with Cal Fire and, uh, and, and then COVID hit. And, uh, and I kind of saw it as my chance to go back to Canada. You know, I, I love the States. I love America. I love Americans. That's why I spent 25 years here. Um, but you know, home is home, right? Yeah. Uh, home is yeah. home. Um, and I, and I had a chance to go back home and, and it was a, uh, uh, to be in the training cadre at this beautiful facility. Actually, we were talking about Halifax earlier. It's the uh, Nova in Nova Scotia. It was the Nova Scotia firefighter school. The COVID shut them down. Oh, and so that was kind of how I started bouncing around a little bit. Okay. Um, and, uh, until I eventually, I got recruited, uh, for that deputy chief of training position. Gotcha. So that's kind of my, more or less my fire credentials. Um, but you know, uh, and, and God bless you for giving me the chance to talk about, um, uh, what I do as my, as my side business, which is very much, it's, it's about passion. Uh, I had been doing it for years. It's called fire edge. Um, I had been doing it for years just to do it because I think it's the right thing to do that, you know, people that have got some years in, we've got to, we've got to extend a hand out to these uh, recruits that, you know, don't know anything. And we need to do more than just saying, you know, the job is one lost in the interview room. So practice and we wag our fingers at them and then we turn and walk away. Well, what, what the hell does that mean to a 22 year old practice? What does that mean? <laughs> and they read all this shit on Google Right, it's like practicing interviews. Well, look in the mirror. Uh, practice with your mom and dad. I give you a break. <laughs> yeah, that's, exactly. You know, right. I mean, that's you know. So, so that was driving me nuts. And uh, and just slowly, um, recruit by recruit, uh, until eventually I, I started as a business. So it became client by client. I really started uh, taking a serious deep dive into what's really happening in the interview room. Um, what's really being read on resumes. It's not what everybody that's listening thinks either, right? You know, stack your resume. The guy with more certifications wins. That, that ain't it at all. Really? Uh, make sure you're volunteer. Well, uh, no, I, you know, well, so just on the certification thing, Steve, I mean, if I was to challenge you, so you get your fire one, fire two, right? You go, you go to, I don't know, Texas A&M or, or, you know, there's a couple great academies in Texas. Um, or you do it through your fire department. So you get your NFPA 1001, your 1001, fire one, fire two, right? And usually with that, they often fold in hazmat, right? Yes. Maybe auto X and you get some level of medical. So you get those big three, big four, right? So now you want to start stacking your resume. Well, what do you stack it with? We'll, right, we'll start talking about the rescue disciplines. We're talking about people getting some level of rope rescue, mm-hmm. right? Some level of water rescue. Yeah, I was going to say I went and got my swift water. water. Yeah. Swift water, uh, Canada, a big one. We're littered with lakes up here. I don't know if you fish, but man, you got to get up here. It's it's nuts. But and it's but it's a colder environment, so so much of it freezes. I saw ice rescue. 
is a big one. Ah, okay. Um, right? Ah. And then people are like, okay, well, I did AutoX in my academy, but I want to become a technician, so I'm going to go to five days, and I'm going to become AutoX tech. I go onto the FEMA site, and I get ICS 100-200, NIMS 700-800, four free certifications, patient maybe 10 hours, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, well, now what? Now what are you going to do? <laughs> well, um, I don't know. Uh, high rise. Yeah. Okay. I'll do high rise. So you go to high rise. I swear to God, I had a client who was, um, and he ended up in Brandon, Manitoba. He took high rise, uh, uh, um, tech, high rise, uh, firefighting, op- not tech, firefighting operations as a cert. And he ended up in Brandon, Manitoba. It's, you know, it's a town of, I think 28,000 people, something like that. And they've got a build out of no more than three stories. Well, what, where the fuck did you spend fifteen hundred bucks? Well, you got a staffy resume. Yeah, yeah, and that right? on a three story, which hell in Texas, most of our burn buildings are are bigger than three story. We got in Houston, we got some hey, seven yeah. story burn buildings. <laughs> I, I love that. Uh, yeah, you know, it's it's like you know. So I think that when you say stack your resume. I think you got to be. I think you got to be somewhat smart about it, because the reality of the NFPA stuff that we follow for certifications is you go for five days, you cut a thousand dollar check, you pass the test. Now you're either ops or tech, mm-hmm. right? Yes. And there's really only a dozen within within the rescue disciplines that you can really build out. So everybody does that. So now that's whitewashed. Right, you put that on your resume. Well, everybody's got it on their resume. So, does it mean anything anymore? I, I don't. I don't think it does personally. Um, I think it's important to get your hands dirty. I think it's important for knowing that stuff. Uh, so that I'm not. I'm not. You know, going against that at all. But, but I mean, for the sake of just building out your resume, I don't think it's a wise choice. Right. Um, I'm going to have to get you to come down to Texas. Get in trouble? Well, no, I need to uh, I need to get you down here and get you lobbying with the state cuz uh yeah, I'm not meaning to interrupt you. It just it's uh it's pretty crazy oh, no, because man, that's uh I'd say in the last mm, 5 years or so Texas has gone into this I mean, I call it just cert horny. Because we switched from, I was brought in under, you know, the old head mentality of certs don't mean what you think that they mean. You need to get the certs that you need to to get the job. But the job is the experience. And it's making the runs and getting out there and and learning how to do it. Not taking all these classes, not getting all this textbook knowledge, blah, 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 blah. That's what I was brought under. So, like, I'll be the first one to say, you look at my resume on the cert end, and I'm I'm pretty weak. I'm pretty light. I I just I didn't I was never brought in and didn't work at departments where the certs was the driving factor. But I would say in the last five years, Texas has gone insane with certifications. I mean, literally every time I turn around, our uh, the Texas Commission on Fire Protection, you know, our governing body is coming out with a new state certification at the start at the uh, the state level 
that is required for promotions is required to uh, ride this apparatus or ride that. Like they're literally as fast as they could come out with. They're coming out with new certs, and so guys like a 90-day firefighter been in three months is getting forced to go take driver operator pumper, driver operator aerial, and this class and this class and this class. And it's just like they're getting all their shit stacked. And then you go ask them like, hey, man, where's the tools on the truck? And they can't even tell you that, but these departments are forcing them to go get all these certifications to make their little check boxes to look good for the state and, and all their shit. But they really genuinely, like I'm not trying to beat them up, but it's just the fucking truth. They're genuinely, they can't even tell you where shit is on the truck. They've never even dropped a, a cross lay on the ground and kicked the door in and gone in. But they're certed up, just like you're talking about. They've got all this shit. They went and got their high-rise cert, but... They work in a district that doesn't even have high-rises, and they they couldn't even tell you what type of cross-lay they have or what type of cross-lay uh, would even work for their district. You know, just basic shit, they can't tell you that, but they got all these certs, and that's what Texas is doing right now. And a lot of us like me, we're sitting here like completely dumbfounded because we're just like, what in the hell are y'all doing? Which I personally know it's a money grab, but... Um, it, it puts uh, the fire service, I think, in in a bad way. You're talking about culture because you have a 90-day guy that now thinks because they have all these certs, they're equal or better than a guy like myself that's got 15 years, worked at a lot of different places in a lot of different areas. They're like, oh, well, you don't have this certification. Well, no, bro, but um, I can look at that building and tell you what I need to deploy, and you don't even know what that line is. <laughs> so it's kind of crazy. I, I'm yeah. like, I'm like, man, I want to get you down here and get you actually talking some real shit to some of these people. You know what? It's it, man. You are. I am so on board with what you just said. <clears throat> and if you were to, if you were to take out the word Texas and put in the word Ontario, Ontario, Canada, um, it'd be the same thing. Really? So we're run by the Ontario Fire Marshal, and uh, and the Ontario Fire Marshal, well, with them, uh, I think it was a. So two and a half years ago, they, they threw down the gauntlet and they said, every firefighter, it doesn't matter if you're in freaking Ak-Akadak, Northern Ontario, population 800, with a 10-person volunteer fire company, you have to have hazmat up to ops, NFPA, firefighter one and two, driver operator, there was one other one, and I don't remember what it was and I should because I was running training. And you have to have, you have, to have it within a certain time frame. Right? Mm -hmm. Everybody, every single person had to have it. So, well, well, that's cool. I mean, it's great if you're living in London, Ontario, population of almost 400,000 now, Toronto, you know, God knows how many millions. Like, where it's easy to access those academies and those private training companies to punch that out, and your department probably has the money. I was going to say, you're a pro, you have the funds to do it. Exactly. But if you are in, you know, like, Kenora, Ontario, Ear Falls, Ontario, a couple places that I know. Um, again, man, you got to get up there fishing. Uh, but but uh, oh, it's kind of insane. But um, but you know, you're from there. So so what do you do? I mean, so the next the next place that I can send my five people, or if I just had, if I'm a volunteer company, I just picked up ten people this year, which would be a great year. Well, now I've got 10 people. I've got to bump up to these four or five certs that the OFM is requiring me to do, or they can't dress for a call. Mm -hmm. And if they do, if I'm putting myself at a liability, 
So I've got to send them off to the class, pay for the class. They've got to do it on their own time if they're a volley. I've got to put them up into hotels and meals. I mean, it's just, and so, and so, you know, I think it's two different conversations, Chief. I am totally with you on, on the government pushing down the, the level of search for no other reason than I think there's a bit of money grab. I think you're right. I think somebody or a few people have their ear. They say, well, you know, they got to be trained to this standard. And, and you're right. It's like, well, that's nice. You got fire one, fire two. Good for you. You, you look at the extra book um, long enough for you to pass every quiz and to pass the test. Right. But, mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, I mean, you, you ask what a booster line is on an older rig. Like what's a booster line? I have no idea. No idea. So, uh, so yeah, right. I, I, I say that because I saw just a slightly older rig. I passed one on the way home from the gym today and I looked at it I'm like, Oh man, I love those. It was just an old, not old. It was like a dozen years old, but it was just a slightly older Pierce. Mm-hmm. And it and it had it had the uh, the old booster line on. I'm like, God, I, I just loved having that thing on the reel, punching out some some ant shit fire, reeling it up, and driving away. It was it was great. Oh yeah, we have um, them on all of ours. That's that's pretty on all steel frontline apparatus uh, everywhere I've worked. They they all we got uh, hose reels on all of them. That's <laughs> that's uh, that's kind of a standard down here. Well, and mainly because we do still have a lot of grass fires, even if it's on the side of the interstate. So. I mean, pretty much all the departments I work for, yeah, it's either up top or it's in the rear compartment. Yeah, we got a booster line, and I, I may or may not be guilty of deploying it on car fires or even some structure fires whenever you just <laughs> – when you don't want right, to. Uh, I can – you don't want to drop all that hose? I I still remember – I can remember the guy. His name was Lou Donati. This guy was a fireman's fireman. Um, he was something of, of crazy, like 18 years as a cop. And then became a firefighter and was a firefighter for like 24, 25 years on top of his time as a cop. Um, this guy was just awesome. And he was, and he was like five foot four and wiry. Oh, shit. Right? It, was, it, was, it was amazing. And I went on my first car fire and, uh, and he said, we're just going to pull the, he was an acting captain. We're just old acting captain. Never wanted to have the, the beagles on him at all. And, um, and so we're just going to pull the booster line. And we'll just punch this thing out and leave. Hell yeah. And that's what we did. And so yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, and I mean, really, truly, uh, anyway. so even, even, uh, I'm going to get a little tactical now. I don't normally talk tactics, but we brought it up and, but, uh, that's something I think is kind of a misconception with a lot of people when it comes to that. Cause like in, in rural East Texas, most departments are running inch and a half cross lays in rural East Texas with a 95 GPM, um, nozzle. So, you're mm-hmm. not losing a whole hell of a lot dropping down to a one-inch booster line. I mean, really and truly, you're not. I mean, you still put the proper application of water where it needs to be, and you're going to be fine. The only difference is is uh, it's a little bit frowned upon in certain places. But, you know, in, in Houston, everybody's running an inch and three-quarter, and, you know, it, you can get into the stats on GPMs and all that bullshit with um, the bigger nozzles and or smooth bores, just all that. But, um it's not like for a lot of places. I know a lot of guys in rural departments that were brought up like I was, where you're using that smaller line and a smaller nozzle for your your first end cross lay, and so you you learn how to be able to use that stuff. So when you drop down to a booster, it's really honestly it's not that much less water. Uh, and so it just makes me laugh when people they go insane behind that, or like some places I've heard have pulled 
uh, removed booster lines for for that reason. They didn't want guys pulling it, which I get. It. It's a rubber line versus you know fire jacketed line, blah blah blah, all that mess. But it's like water wise, if you get in there and put it where it needs to be, you could do a lot. You could do a whole lot. Yeah. Oh uh, yeah, absolutely. You know, <laughs> you know, a couple things come to mind. It's it, you know the only thing about the booster really. I mean, aside from from diameter and, and how much water you're dropping. Right, it's about length and, and hose movement, and that's and that's where you know having a having a tack line is is a little bit better. But but then I you know what just popped in my head is why does New York City and some other metros why do they have a can man, right? Why do they have that pressurized can? It's because they know that they can actually they can drop down a lot of heat with just that one can. And it's because you know where to put the water, you know how to use it. And I think about these rural and semi-rural areas where before they set up a tanker relay, right, and they're not, they don't have a hydrant sitting right outside of somebody's front door, mm-hmm. um, but they have to rely on that 500 gallons or whatever it is, 5 to 750-ish, right? Mm-hmm. So you've got to learn how to use that water properly. I, I remember hearing, and, I, and it was, uh, I think it might have been John Salta, um, who, is, uh, who would apparently barked at some kid who was in New York, and he's just being very cautious with, with the water. He said, kid, you got 500 gallons on there. You want to use it in 10 minutes or you want to use it in one minute? Let's go. He <laughs> wanted him to basically just empty the Well, that's great in New York City. Right. right? It's great if you've got forever water, but in, a, in most of America, most of Canada, you don't. Mm-mm. And so you've got to le- you've got to learn that economy of water, and I think you probably understand water versus fire better by being forced into a situation where you either drop a booster or an inch or an inch and a half instead of having forever water. I love the idea of smooth bores. I love the idea of just you know everything is a two and a half. Like there are places that are actually doing that. Mm-hmm. More water is better. Let's beat the shit out of this thing right away. I don't necessarily disagree with that, but you as know, as you got the water, <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So that's a, that's a really, that's a great point. Um, and that's the shit know, that they don't, they shit. don't teach you. Yeah. They don't teach you that inserts, you know, that's a, that's a no, firefighter no, they, one they thing. <laughs> they, they really don't. And a lot of times we're not even getting that in mileage. Right. I mean, it's the whole, we talk about experience. It's like, okay, well, I got 25 years. That's great. 25 years doing what? Well, five years I have my thumb up my ass, right? So, so does that count as my experience? Right? If, if you've got 25 years at an airport, that's amazing. You've run heart attacks, shortness of breath, and a shitload of training on airport. You might have been in a couple of significant events. Mm-hmm. And you're, you may be, you are, you are ARF, you're a killer. That's awesome. And then I drop you into Station 1, San Francisco, or Station 1, Denver. Like, right? Are you, are you going to handle that? I mean, you might be smart as shit, but so experience, it also depends on where your experience lies. 100%. Right? It's not just, about, it's got to be the right mileage. I'll take somebody with three years from downtown Denver before I take, you know, years from some you know from some other person that maybe only has 10 years in either punching out 300 calls a year it's not it's great they're protecting their community blessings to them i've worked in those systems so i'm certainly not dissing anybody but in terms of mileage and experience yeah that's it's uh it's funny we talk about experience and 
and we always talk about years, but we never talk about type. Oh, that's, yeah, and I did a show, one of my very first podcasts, uh, I called it Experience and Bullshit. That is literally what I talked about. I was I was fired up at that time because I, I don't remember I don't remember what it was, but something set me off. Uh, you're talking about hot hot topics and and um, pushing buttons and and all that. That's literally that was one of my first ones, and it's actually one of my lo- most listened to shows uh, to date. It's still um, it's still rocking on. But that was literally the topic because I'm like, man, the. I'm so tired of hearing it. And, and it was some old dude that said some bullshit that set me I don't even remember now. But um, it just set me off because they said, well, I've been doing this for 35 years. And I'm like, yeah, at a fucking place that makes like 150 runs a damn year, bro. Like, fuck you. Um, I'll yep. take, I'll take yeah. a guy that works in fucking Houston for two years over you. I mean, it just yeah. Yeah, <laughs> all absolutely. day long. All day long. Absolutely. Uh, and it's you know, just, it's funny. Yeah, it's, it's, it's cool to hear a chief that has that same, cause I mean, far too often now I'm going to hit you with a hard one, but, uh, far too often I hear chiefs that play that year's card and, um, they really, really rely on their certs and their years, uh, for their credibility, for their positions versus being like, you know, a guy that was a smoke eater for, for a long period of time and that's actually i guess the question i have with with your travels what you've been around and all that kind of stuff uh why is it that so many i guess firemen's firemen don't promote to chiefs like what is your your thoughts on that and why kind of we looking at you know 2023 why are there just so many fire chiefs that they're not firemen they're just not they they never were even before they got the bugles. They just weren't. What do you have kind of a hypothesis on that or? Yeah, I I do. Um, you know, and and I think my my first thought is just like in Texas and just like in Ontario, where they're shoving certifications down our throat. I know that I'm shooting for a bunch of jobs as a chief now that I've finished out that that project in Ontario, Canada. And if I don't have anything that says, you know, ECFO, which is executive chief fire officer or EFO out of the national fire Academy, which is executive fire officer. If I don't have a degree from Columbia Southern in public administration or fire science or something like that, if I have not been working within an EOC and emergency management for at least five, they're not going to look at me. They're Mm. not even going to look at me. Right. So what do I do? So now I've got, I've got, you know, my life, my time, my bandwidth, just, just like every other firefighter that's listening, you know, I've got, I've got my downtime. I've got two kids. I've got a side job where, where I'm, you know, I'm, I'm doing shelving with my buddy, Bob. And I say that because I did with Bob Allen. <laughs> so that one kind of that fell out of my mouth. But you know, I'm, I've got I I you know just because I'm I've got the name Chief attached to me doesn't mean that my time pie is bigger than your pie. I only have so much time in the day too, and they're forcing me to get a degree. Mm. So what do I do? Do I shove my nose in the book because I want to go out there? And, and do better for the fire service and maybe make a little bit, bit more money for my family and maybe come away with a slightly better pension. So they do. They kind of shove the certification thing down our throats um, from a chief perspective. But I think another thing comes up. 
And, and I, I think that there are definitely chiefs that, uh, that do that, right? Um, aside from, from being forced into it, I think there are ones that do it voluntarily, right? They prefer to have their face in the book. They don't uh, necessarily value their time when they were actually riding the race. Mm. Um, they, they, don't, they don't rely on that level of experience. So I think you're right that those people are out there, and I think they are some of the ones that have helped create this us versus them situation. This is fire versus white shirt, or, or you know, he's now get, he's got white shirt syndrome. He's forgotten what it's like. So I think, there's, I think there's at least part of that. So that's a second group of people. Hmm. But I'm going to offer up the third group of people. There are a lot of chiefs out there that because they've got bugles on, you know, they've got, they've, they've got the uh, collar dog, um, that they're automatically uh, have white, white shirt syndrome. Right? And with Chicago, and you're not with FN, you know, where they know you've had to climb the ranks. Mm-hmm. If you're not with some of those mystical, magical, awesome fire departments where you have to start out as a grunt, it's automatically assumed that you've never rid a rig or you only punched it out for five or six years and then you just wanted to climb a lot on it up. You can ask my fiance, Lorraine, I still dream of being in the firehouse. When I say dream, I mean literally nighttime dreams. I dream of being in the firehouse. I dream of being on the rig. I, I have actually, my dreams have kind of replicated the special feelings that only come with a good call. Hmm. So I miss it that much. So I think there's that third group out there that automatically get folded into the other two groups. And, and I'm going to call out the firefighters that say that the call out that give us that us versus them mentality, the chiefs too, right? I already said that, but there's the firefighters that call it out. There's a lot of chiefs out there that are worth their salt. Man. Right. They really are. They've <clears throat> grunted it out. They've, they've grinded it out. And, and they love and miss the fire service, but they're sitting in that, they're sitting at that desk because they want to make the fire service better. They want to make our firefighters safer and they want to make our citizens safer. And I don't know where that became corny. And I don't know where, you know, I, I, I never, I, I never could see, you know, as I look back in fire history, recent fire history, I don't know where that happened. Really? Where I can look at you from across the firehouse table and say, I really care about you, brother. But if but if I go then go into my desk and sit in on a on a Zoom call with the IEFC on a committee on 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 cancer and how we're trying to limit cancer, or I look you in the eye and say I care about you, brother, and then I go back there and try to prove it, and I get told that I have white shirt syndrome. Mm. It's it's a hard it's a hard pill to swallow for some chiefs that take all this stuff really seriously. Well, it sounds like um, there's a division amongst the Chiefs, too. Um, yeah. Because, yeah. I mean, I, I rub elbows. You know, I, I'm i back in a firefighter right now. I'm I'm rookie rookie day one guy right now, even though, you know, my crew is not treating me like that. My crew is, is – my crew is awesome. I couldn't ask for better when it comes to that. But I am, I am still probie uh, in my first year at my new job. But I spent eight years in the officer seat at several different departments, rode up mm-hmm. as battalion chief, rode up as district chief. I have that time, and most of my former coworkers and colleagues 
uh, to sound sophisticated, are now in chief roles. They just made and went to they made different decisions and went to different places than I did throughout their career, and it has enabled them to uh, to prosper and be in those chief roles. So I rub elbows with a lot of chiefs and in even guys that are super big in the in the training world that are traveling the country and all this kind of stuff. And to me, I see I see the chiefs. You know, like that. Uh, most of the guys I know that they all worked in the Houston area, or East Texas, or Southeast Texas, just t- Texas in general, and they did all come up from f- rookie firefighter. They put their time in, they promoted up, you know, did the full shebang, and now they're out traveling and they're they're the but the travels that they do and the teachings that they do are to other firefighters or other um, you know aspiring officers and chiefs, and this is basically like what you're doing. There's there's those chiefs, and then there's the chiefs that I see that, like, um, I'm just using Texas for example, but there's the chiefs that I see that spend all their time down there in Austin with the the bookworm-style chiefs, and they're down there dealing with the lobbying of politics and the, the TCFPs and getting involved with all the state agencies and, and all that kind of stuff, and you don't see that crossover. Uh, if that makes sense, you just don't yeah. like it's. It se- It seems to me, as a guy that's not in it, but just close enough to observe it, that there is a serious line in the sand just between even the different style of chiefs. Um, and so it, it kind of it it concerns me for the future as to where where are we actually going in a sense of. What is going to be brought down and taught to the next generation of that day one guy on what the importance is? Which is cool to me that that's literally what your business is about. Um, (laughs) And what you're doing, we just need that to be more on the forefront and I guess just even bigger to kind of combat. Because we can, you know, you hear an old guy say all the time, never seen a textbook put a fire out. And that's kind of cliche and it's kind of annoying sometimes coming from certain people, but at the same, because we do need to be educated. I'm, I'll never say that firefighters need to just be, you know, not, you have to have some education. You need to know certain things. You need to know that, you know, the laws that protect you. You need to know, uh, you just, there's information and absolute education that you need to have. You don't need to just be a dumbass fireman. That'll get you in a bind just as quick as being somebody that can't apply the hands-on training. It, it'll all get you in a bind. There's a, there's a fine line that you need to walk on having both, but how do we, I mean, is that a fair assessment? Is that what you're kind of seeing and describing? Is that there's even a line in the sand between the different styles of chiefs? Oh, or is, I mean, is that? Yeah, I, I, I think so. You know, I, I do. I, I think you've, I think you've really hit on something. Um, you know, the chiefs, the chiefs that, uh, you know, you get, you get the chiefs. Um, I mean, I had one, uh, he was an interim chief. Um, sometimes you get an interim chief while you're looking for a new one and it might be a deputy chief that steps up and they're great. Um, but we actually had one who is, uh, he was basically a gun for hire, um, uh, who would just bounce around, uh, and he filled the uniform and signed checks, right? Nice. So you, get, you get that kind of chief and those, you know, yeah, make, make a shitload of money, um, and, and then leave and go to the next place and make a shitload of money and then leave. How do I get that um, job? I'm, I'm definitely not. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's, it's out there. It's out there. Um, man. 
I wish. I wish. Um, but, you know, somebody hired that guy. You know, and this goes back to what I do. Um, and this goes back to us talking about uh, firefighters and character. Right. And the virtues of, of character and, and, and the whole hiring process. Right. So with the hiring process, we'll, uh, we'll say, you know, you, you've got to be in great shape. We've got a fairly tough uh, physical agility. So you go and you work out 90 minutes a day, six days a week, you're eating right. You're running every freaking day uh, you're in amazing shape. And then I'll ask those kids. So how much time last week did you spend reading? How much time last week did you spend interviewing? How many ride-alongs did you do last month? And you get a blank stare. And that's on us. That's on the fire service because we tell them that. Mm -hmm. right? And then we get situations which are two situations, which goes back to a few minutes ago. We tell them the fire service, stack your resume. More certifications, for the most part, looks better. And then we get legislated from up top, like the Texas Fire Commission or the Ontario Fire Marshals, that are telling us we have to have more certs, right? So mm -hmm. you get your certs and you fill your resume and that's great. And then, then we tell them about the psych interview. A lot, I don't know if you guys had one, but we tell them how to pass the psych interview, right? Which is, they're gonna, they're basically trying to get your hackles up. Um, they're just trying to see if you have any uh, rage issues or, or any, uh, any issues where you seriously get confused in, in answering questions. Um, and there's two ways to do that. They do a huge test. It's called a Minnesota mental inventory, I think. And, uh, and then they do a, an interview with a psychiatrist or a psychologist and they, and we tell them in the fire service how to pass that. Mm -hmm. And then we say, you know, okay, we're going to run some medical scenarios because we run EMS here. Awesome. So you're going to run a code and, and the guys that want to get, they want to see you get hired. They'll pull you aside. They're running the code. They'll pull you aside and say, Look, okay, so here's what's going to happen. He's going to go into pulse and speed tack, and then we're going to shock him, and we need to make sure you give him this med, this med, and this med. Okay, okay, talk to you later, right? And then walk <laughs> him through that, and they pass that. Straight and up. So by yeah. the time they get to the interview room, they're, they're just up. every one of them is the same. I don't care who you are. You are six foot two and impossibly handsome. You're five foot four um, and, and ugly like me. <laughs> right? uh, it, doesn't, it doesn't matter who you are. Well, I'm 6'2". Are... Does that mean I'm the handsome one? Because somebody needed to tell me that. <laughs> you, are, <laughs> you are definitely the more handsome one in this, in this conversation, mister. I'm sure of it. Oh, I wish. Uh, uh, you know, I, I've told you this before. Anybody with the name Heath Meredith is, uh, God, God, I mean, you sound like you sound like the great guest actor that's, that stepped onto Yellowstone. Yeah, I would. Yeah. <laughs> they wouldn't want me on that show. I'd make them work too hard. <laughs> okay, there you go. Yeah, they look awfully pretty for their working cowboys. Yeah, um, that's a fact. They don't smell, they're not covered in cow <laughs> shit enough. <laughs> oh, man. So, so we really want to, we really, really get this opportunity in the interview room to really take a deep dive into this into this applicant, into this candidate, mm -hmm. right? And we ask them to work, and we even tell them that, look, man, job is one of lost in the interview room. This is where it really happens, and we don't really give them a whole lot of guidance. Or there are some interview prep companies out there, I know of one, 
Well, I, I ended up looking at the questions that they were asking, and they were cut and paste from Google. Mm. And anybody that's listening could actually do that. Call firefighter interview questions. And it's the same shit. So where do you see yourself in five years? Yep, I did right? that when or, I was 20. Uh, you're on the scene of Right? Because you don't know. You're a kid. You're 20, 22, 25. You don't know. Right? So we tell them that, and we get in the interview room, and we're serious about it, and they're serious about it, and our first question is, uh, so where do you see yourself in five years? <laughs> this is us peeling back the onion? Yeah. Like, this is us digging into their character? So we, we put them in a crappy situation, and we give them a really shitty stage to try to show who they really are. And so they come into it script. We know they're giving us a script. Mm-hmm. And we're listening, and, and we're listening with all these biases, conscious or unconscious. I don't like that guy. He's short. I don't like that person. They are of a certain uh, gender, or they look like there's a, a gender issue. And so, therefore, no, not mm-hmm. in my house. Or even unconscious biases, right? So this applicant's name is Mike, and my wife ran away with a guy named Mike two weeks ago. Mm. Right? Because we're, because we're not giving them the chance to give us any real deep answers. Well, when we do all that stuff and we grade them improperly in the interview room and they haven't been able to really tell us what they're all about, well, that's not a recruit. That's a future captain and a future chief. And so when you do see the knuckleheads that are just filling the uniform, white shirt, sitting at a desk, gun for hire, well, somebody hired that guy. Or when you look at, you look at uh, what was it, Kansas, I shouldn't say a town actually, but it was a number of years ago um, because the new chief is, is awesome. Um, but Kansas City, and, and these guys hired strippers, went down to the family in the main square in Kansas City for Christmas photos or something stupid like that and had these semi-naked women draped all over the engine. Ha ha, funny, hilarious. I remember, well, yeah. The captain and the battalion chief, you, you remember that? Yes. Well, there was a, and it's funny to talk about, but a captain allowed that. Yeah. Somebody hired that fucking captain. Yep. Right? So character for me is really what I drive home for recruits. Character. Get get some certs. Yeah. Get to know the fire service. Yeah. Read a lot. Yes. Do ride-alongs if you can. Yes. Volunteer with a department if you can. Absolutely. Not to check the box, but because it's in your heart. Mm. Don't do the Thanksgiving Day soup kitchen crap. Really volunteer from your heart. Because then you can speak to that in the interview room. Mm-hmm. Right? Instead of checking the box. Yes. Do all that stuff. Absolutely. But really character you've got to reveal your character and the fire service has to give them the chance to reveal their character and i think that's how we end up with better recruits better probies you end up with a probie who who when you say where's the crossway instead of saying oh i don't know they actually say cap i don't know but could you please show me because i want to do better that's character yes is that um so talking about your business? I know that that stuff that you offer to candidates is this interview coaching stuff something that you offer to departments as well to get them to ask the right questions and to dig in the the you know the right way to what it is that they're actually looking for and what they need. Is that is that, do you also do that as a service? I haven't yet, um, and and I'd like to. Okay, uh, you know. It, 
it's a, it's a big step. Um, it, it, there's a lot behind changing a department's interview construct, right? Mm-hmm. Because usually, like my department, uh, is the one where I spent the most time, the interview panel was a hand raise. Right? Hey, we've well, got interviews coming up. Anybody want to do this? And uh, you raise your hand. Well, that was their training. Okay, so they, they're never trained in, in confirmation bias and uncon. And these are, sure, they're lofty things to talk about, but they're very real things. Mm-hmm. Right? It's, it, 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 you know, you, you're walking down the street, down a shady street, and it's after midnight, and, and there are three guys walking down your side of the street, right? And to you, they don't look quite right. Well, that's a bias. That's all, that's all I'm talking about. Right. Right. Is, is actually placing a certain opinion on someone consciously or unconsciously in the interview room. And people have to be trained to look out for that. So, so going into a fire department would take a lot. And that would be, um, training interview panels. Uh, what does your interview panel look like? Everybody that's listening that's a firefighter now knows it is always, we're going to have maybe somebody from rank and file, captain chief, maybe a union rep, definitely somebody from HR. Yes. It's always three, four, or five. Always. Right? Yeah. Maybe changing the interview construct is, is something. Changing your interview bank. Uh, the town that I grew up in, um, and I hope nobody looks it up because I'm not trying to diss my hometown, but I'm also not afraid to call people out. There's an open secret among the, the uh, candidates there. They, there is a photocopied three-sheet little document uh, of, of um, questions that they ask in the interview panel. And the interview panel, the, the whole department knows, yeah, those are the questions. We just want to get to know them a bit. Well, and they're sitting on five-year-old questions. And they know that everybody's got it. So everybody comes in with the same damn script. And so we rely on our biases. Gotcha. Yeah. Right? So so going... Sorry, Heath. I didn't mean to interrupt you. Um, Going out to other departments, I would love to. I would love to be able to help a department um, change your interview construct. Um, You know, it'd be a one, two, three-day thing for sure. Uh, but I, I really love getting the right people in the uniform. I really love in doing that, trying to do my little, my little tiny corner of the fire service world, changing fire service culture where we I try to, I try to get people away from us versus them, us versus probies where in a probies mind, even though they won't say it, probie versus firefighter, probie versus senior, right? Um, firefighter versus chief. Chief versus rank and file, chief versus union. I'm just I'm trying to change that, right? Let's let's start slowly. Let's get the right people in the uniform. And so I love working with recruits. And for those people that are serious, I love firefighters that want to become good captains and pass that assessment center, and captains that want to become good chiefs and pass that assessment center. So I I do I do it right across the ranks, but um, that's really where I'm at. Early in my career, that was always, you know, for the for the listeners that have been listening to this show for a while, one thing that was interesting with my career is the first, 
few years, you know, I was duty crew, I volunteered, all that good stuff, and I tested, this was post-recession, you know, 2008, there was nobody fucking hiring. So I tested all over the place, I always scored really well on pat test because i was right out of high school so shit i was still in high school shape um you know plus fire academy i I was i was in good shape i hadn't gained my my uh freshman 15 and and plus a whole lot since then but um i was in good shape all the academics were very easy for me because i just got done with high school math and all that kind of bullshit so all of that my testing side was always very strong. And I would go into the interview, and I'm 18 years old, and I would have a panel full of guys, even in my hometown. So even in my hometown where I took my first first job interview ever, I walk in the room, and to be completely honest, nervous as hell, scared as hell. My entire life's dream is on the line. This is the only department I ever wanted to work at. This is literally like no bullshit i know every single person on the damn panel i grew up with every fucking person on the damn panel now years later 15 years later 16 years later i'm looking back now and now i know those biases that you're talking about were there there was guys that were sitting on that interview panel that had beef with my dad from back in the fucking 80s in the fire station there was guys on that interview panel that knew uh my dad prior to marrying my mom and slept with this woman and this fireman was also sleeping with this woman so i had all that bullshit sitting on the interview panel and i'm 18 years old and don't have a damn clue and they're throwing me questions mm-hmm. that are exactly like you're talking about and like i'm a kid i mean i and i'm a kid and i'm at that time i'm a well-spoken kid did all of the leadership training and shit in high school like you're not I, i'm not tooting my own horn here but as a young man like i was comfortable in public speaking but i'm in this room and i'm nervous because my whole future is on the line and these guys are asking me this this bullshit like what you're talking about where you see yourself in five years man i just want a fucking job like i just want to work here like i want to be on that truck that that engine right there engine two is the only truck i've ever wanted to ride my entire life i could tell you the shit all about the station i could tell you what year it was it was built because my grandpa was working here when it was built like the history of this department, I know the district, I know every fucking street in this town, I know every back road, and I know every drinking spot, and where all the high school kids, we take our women to go get down. Like, this is my town, this is where I want to work. And just to be quite frank, my interview wasn't wasn't worth a damn for them. Um, and years later now, I, I know that basically I was scored the way I was scored strictly because of bias and everything. Of course... My career has gone on, and I went on to way better things. I mean, hell, I laugh all the time. I fought more fires than most of the fucking chiefs have at that department. So it is what it is on that. But as far as the training candidates and even training interview panels, I think that is of dire importance in today's society because, you know, myself being 18, I'm well-spoken. We look at these 18. I have a 15-year-old daughter right now. She gets nervous ordering her food at a restaurant. And, and, I make her do those uncomfortable conversations. I make my kids go. Most parents don't do that. Most parents aren't making their kids, and especially young men, step up, stand up, shake hands, get eye to eye, and have those hard, like, deep, hardcore conversations. It's That is dwindling by. And how the hell are you ever going to hire a firefighter that can be assertive and handle their shit 
if they're not taught that stuff. That's why I, I love what you're doing because it does all start in the interview. I mean, you're 100% correct. The damn academy, if you get through the academy, everybody's the same. Everybody has the same basic fire certifications. You get through the test. Yes, there's absolutely what you're talking about. Hell, I've even seen guys that when they were doing pat tests, dudes, for people that they liked or all that shit, they're stopping the timer for them. Even if they're a little over, they're skating them through. All that shit happens. You are yeah. spot on. Dudes are getting, you know, they get the hookup in the hiring process. Then they come to the interview panel, and you can't bullshit that. Uh, you're either going to have answers or you're not, or it's a complete crock of an interview, and you're not hiring the best candidate because you're hiring a buddy or, or you know, whatever the situation is. And it ends up, my opinion, that's where we're at right now is the buddy hires and the shit hiring processes from, um, say, you know, 10, 15 years ago, that's who's now our officers and potentially our chiefs, and it's hurting us. It's absolutely hurting us, in my opinion. So the only way to fix that is to get back to that candidate of hiring highly strong-charactered people. Uh, Take all Mm -hmm. the fire shit away. I will take a guy that has a little bit of a rocky past and, you know, had a little too much fun per se or whatever you want to label it, but they are here for the right reasons over the the ace candidate that's got the PhD from fucking Southern whatever and all the shit and all the certs and all that stuff. Like, that's just me. I would rather have someone that is truly built on character and life rather than someone that's just certed up or a uh, buddy. I mean that that's just me. I know. I, I I think you're hitting the nail on the head. It's, it's you know, it's it's uh uh it's it's all about character, right? It, it's and and character is actually this character, the whole idea of character, the whole idea of the virtues of character, and this goes all the way back I'm gonna nerd out on you here, buddy, I hope you don't cringe. But <laughs> but but I mean it goes all the way back to Socrates. Right? I mean, the ideas of the things that, you know, that guy's got good characters. And I asked him, what does that mean? Well, you know, he's got, he's just a good guy. Okay, well, well, how's he a good guy? Well, he's a stand-up guy. He's the kind of guy who, um, if I ask him I need help moving, he'll help me. Well, why do you think he does that? And, and And they stop. I actually, that's one of the exercises that I do with people is why. You know this as well as I do. Uh, you go into a classroom of recruits in an academy and you'll ask, why do you want to do this job? And you, and you point at each one, and, you know, so why do you want this? I, I really just, I want to help people. Yes, that's awesome. <laughs> why do you want to do this job? Well, my dad, my dad was a firefighter for, you know, volunteer in my town and, and I love being around that and, and helping people. It's right. Okay. So you want to help me? Okay. How about you? Well, my dad was actually a police officer relating public service is very important to us. Um, so helping our fellow citizens is very important. That's awesome. And why do you, well, yeah, what he said, I really want to help people. I really love people. I want to help you help people, help people, help people. Okay. That's awesome. <laughs> that is nothing wrong with that. God bless you and your good heart. You want to help people. Yeah. Till about now, your 10,000, three o'clock in the morning, uh, bullshit call dude, on us. <laughs> And then you really don't right. want to help people anymore. <laughs> right. Or from, or, which is one of the virtues of resilience, mm-hmm. actually. Right? Grit is is really the better way of putting it, where you've got to dig in and, and understand that, you know, three, you are going to punch that. You're going to go on four overdoses next week, bud. That's the way it is. Mm-hmm. 
right? How are you going to look at that? Are you going to look at that as the drug problem and, and it's this political situation and it's the legalization of this and okay, well you can do that. That's fine. But remember that that person that's lying in their own piss and shit at three o'clock in the morning, five years ago, they were dreaming about Christmas Eve as a little boy. Mm-hmm. Or, or right? my, my, my personal favorite, um, that this gets real deep, but that guy or that suicide that you run with that dude that blew his brains out five years ago was sitting in that interview on that fire department and they wouldn't hire him. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, man. It's, and uh, I, I say it's, that um, because yeah, I, I, I had a friend of mine that took his life two years ago for that exact reason. One of the best medics that I ever worked with. And he was in Marine Corps when you know went overseas during 0506 time period when shit was not good this that and the other he came back and he started drinking handling his stuff so he ended up with a little bit of a, a not so great record um and he was so he could work EMS and I worked EMS I knew him since high school and anyways basically super long long sad story uh short he couldn't get hired on fire department because some of the decisions he made when he was drinking um and ultimately, he just he couldn't get anywhere in life. So uh, he felt that he needed to take his own life. And for me, oh man, uh, sorry, I didn't mean to get deep, but that just kind of it kind of no, uh, no, man, part of our job, right? Yeah, well, and, and for me, I mean, the deal was is is if, in my opinion, if he would have just if he could have got on at a good fire department somewhere with guys that would have let him flourish in the career man that dude uh paramedic wise solid i mean there's nothing that he wouldn't have done uh for anybody but it was just check marks in an interview uh as to why he didn't get hired and that's just sad to me yep. uh and i think that that's yep. no you, you, yeah. got, you got a record sorry man see ya that's what i was gonna say it's like oh so so yeah you, so you you got a dui seven years ago yeah no yeah. Well, do you know where I was seven years ago? Do you know who I was and what I was going through seven? Can I tell you about it? Can we get out of giving me 30 minutes to tell you my life story so that you can put me in a uniform for 30 years and think that that's the right decision? Can we, can we as a fire service get away from that? Because oh, just like your buddy, I'll bet you if, if he was given time, if he was given, given care, if he was given some level of understanding, if they actually took a deeper dive, they see a guy like him. Now, whether or not you know it would have changed his particular course in life, and, and God bless him, and, and God bless you for, for having to go through that. I'm really sorry because I have too. Um, you know, so I'm incredibly sorry to hear that. Um, there's nothing wrong with going down a dark hole. It's where we are in the fire service, right? Right. Yeah. But, um, but uh, you know, it's it's. Uh, and when you say that, and we, and and you know, some chiefs listen to this podcast, and man, if, if you're a chief and you have have the wherewithal in your department to actually step up and say, you know what, you know, I heard something today, but can we at least talk about it? We keep talking about we don't have the bandwidth to put enough people through interviews, so we actually we say these are the top 25, 45 minutes per person, 15 minutes to talk about that person. So we've actually got 25 hours that we actually spend as an interview panel interviewing people. 
Okay. Now I challenge that chief that's listening that maybe heard something to also go online and punch in firefighter misconduct. And every fucking week, firefighters, captains, chief, right? Embezzlement, fighting in the station, drunken driving. I saw a bullshit one recently. I was so disappointed in these guys. You know, disappointed, not mad, and they really could be amazing people, but they ended up in in a hell of an accident. Engine goes off the road, on the way to a call, way off the road, two firefighters ejected, okay? Well, we've got a couple things going on. If you're ejected, that's the level of speed you were going. Mm-hmm. I don't know why you ended up off the road. I wasn't there. I'm not going to armchair quarterback that part of it. And then they backed up and said, and we were both belted. Okay, so if you were belted and got ejected, huh. okay, so, so how fast were you going, or were you really not belted? And if you weren't belted, why are you handing us that bullshit? Save your ass? Character. Somebody hired those guys. Yep. Spot on. Right, so... I'm sorry. I'm on a I'm on a bit of a soapbox, everybody. Sorry no, about that. no, no. You're good. I, I just uh, I mean that's and you're absolutely that is the conversation to be happening because yes, the chiefs that listen to this and the chiefs that are thinking about it. You think about that guy that was my buddy. You think about what he did in Fallujah for the for the men and women. You know, primarily men, obviously, to the to the left and the right of him in fucking Fallujah. And you're telling me yep. that that's Easy. a guy that you don't want on the truck beside you? Because he's sure as hell what I wanted on the truck beside me. Because if he's willing to do that for mm-hmm. them, what will he do for his family at home and and the people that he lives and breathes and eats with at home here for the next 30 years? Um, that That's where my mind goes when it comes to hiring candidates. Like, And I think that that's something that absolutely we need to reevaluate because – I mean, what are we getting? You know, really, what are we getting? We're getting squeaky clean records and, you know, great resumes in the sense of what these people think great resumes are uh, versus somebody that will, you know, do what needs to be done in real emergencies, whether it's badass fire situations or badass medical call situations. I mean, hell, you work in over there in California. And like you're talking, I mean, there's hairy situations that happen. So sometimes you might want that guy with you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Right? If somebody who's actually, they, they've been down and dirty, and, and they've actually, they've, they've been some knuckle-dragger that was walking the streets a little too late at night and got into some shit, right? <laughs> um, yeah, worldly. Right? If somebody that's worldly, they get it. You can't say that you're an empathetic firefighter if you've never actually walked through East Vancouver, which is one of the worst areas in North America for drug use. Really? Okay. Right. Uh, oh yeah. There's 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 a couple documentaries on on the on the Vancouver Station Line, I think, and they're just and these these guys are punching out they're punching out twenty twenty two a day, um, and fifty percent of them are drug obese. Wow. Mm. Yeah. That's, I guess that's kind of like what good. we so, see uh, in like Seattle. Like that's what Seattle's kind of turned into. That's that's basically what I see. You know, on the news and shit. It's basically like that. Yep, Bob. Uh, I know that it's getting better. My my fiance just came back from the trip from there, but uh, Portland was was really bad. Um, but you know, I, one of the things that I did recently that was incredibly eye opening is I drove from California to Halifax, spent time in Halifax, back home to Ontario, Canada for a short while. Out west, I don't want to give you my my map. I mean, the short story is I've bounced all around North America. And just traveled across North America again about three weeks ago or so. 
and 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 it, it, housing prices, uh, jobs, um, the drug situation. It's amazing. You, you go to Des Moines, Iowa, and they say, "Oh, my housing is here. Is it's especially bad here in Des Moines, right?" The drug situation in Cleveland is really, really bad, except for Miami. Oh, in Savannah, Georgia. Oh, in San Francisco. It's just it's kind <laughs> of bad everywhere, right? It's, yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So it's definitely, it's, uh, yeah, it's definitely. I think it's an, a cultural. That's a cultural. I, I really, I love that. That's something that you're really majorly trying to address in your capacity. Is primarily the culture of the fire service, but I, I like to view the the fire service as honestly a. It's a microscoped uh, reflection of culture within our entire society, whether it's the, you know, forever, all I've heard is millennials don't know shit, whatever type excuses as to why guys aren't knowing how to run weed eaters and saws at the fire station. Uh, they just blame it on, on society as a whole. Uh, but it, that is an absolute, it, it affects us completely in the fire service, whether it's the calls that we're running, the people that we're hiring, uh, it, it's all reflective and it's, it's, great that that's something that you're addressing rather than just trying to you know print up certifications and all that stuff yeah you know and, and this is something else that and i don't want to go too far down around this is just more a statement um in challenging the fire service i do not think that we hire um people of of a certain uh type gender race nationality just to fill our ranks i think that that's wrong Okay. However, when we say that the fire department is supposed to be a cross section of the citizens that we're sworn to protect, why aren't we still 84% white Anglo males? Mm. Just a question, right? There's a lot of reasons behind that. One of the reasons is that's because 84% of the applicants are white Anglo males. That's part of it. So now it starts speaking to our outreach, right? Hmm. And I look at places like the city of Vancouver in, in Canada. And Vancouver's, a, again, a big city. I think it's 20, 27 stations, something like that. It's no, you know, it's a, it's a decent-sized metro. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and they've tried outreach to their East Indian uh, uh, communities because it's got a heavy East Indian contingent. Um, uh, the Pacific Rim communities, the Asian communities, they've tried that. Well, in those communities, becoming a firefighter is considered a very low position. So they're trying outreach, but it's not working. Hmm. Uh, so I don't know. You know, I, I think I agree with what you said. He totally, it's supposed to be a cross-section, right? It's supposed to be representative of, the fire service is supposed to be representative of the, of the, of the, of society. It should be. Mm-hmm. But I also challenge the fire service. We're, I don't think we're doing a great enough job. Yeah, and, and that may be, um, yeah. that may be, uh, I want to say somewhat regional too, uh, as far as, just across the country. I mean, I, I know. I, yes, I absolutely, completely agree with you that a, a large majority would be uh, would be white males that that do this job. Uh, however, I have noticed in the last, I'd say five to six years, just in in my little area around Houston, uh, the Hispanic population of firefighters has dramatically grown uh, to reflect That's the good. Hispanic. Uh, I mean, the Hispanic population in Houston is massive. I don't have the numbers. I couldn't even begin to tell you. But I'll tell you, I've worked with a lot more uh, Mexican guys that are firefighters uh, in the last five years than I ever did in the first ten. So I think that that's a growth. Mm -hmm. I think that there's a lot more black guys that are joining the service. Um, 
it just in that area i've seen a lot more than what i did in the past so i don't know what they're doing differently or i don't know if maybe the uh, what you call it, the PR events and stuff at the schools for fire prevention and stuff is sparking interest in, in young kids that when they get older, that, you know, because fire prevention has gotten really big, I'd say in the last 20 years. Well, now those kids that we started off uh, doing all that stuff and getting big with going to the schools and all that, now they're at the age where they're coming into the workforce and they remember the fire truck coming to their school. And so it's something that they wanted to do. I, I don't know if that is the correlation, uh, but I have just noticed there is definitely an uptick. And to elaborate, because I loved what you said about not hiring specifically for that. I think that's wrong. I've personally been a victim of that. I was hired at a fire department, a city fire department, in the southern Houston, Texas area years ago when I was like 21 years old. Would have been my first big career job I, at that point i had done duty crew and all that and volunteer and everything that would have been my first true career at a city position and the week i was supposed to start already had my gear already had my uniforms blah 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 blah. my which is now ex-wife but we were moving down there um she was actually getting hired on at the police department there because she was a police officer and we were under contract on a house in in that district like we were relocating our lives down there and the city manager comes in to the fire chief and says you can't hire him because he's not a minority there was a lot more that went into that whole deal and it was just a terrible experience but uh all in all what they ended up hiring they end up hiring a hispanic female strictly because she was a hispanic female six months later Mm -hmm. she um was high on pain medication and wrecked an ambulance patient loaded and it turned into a whole deal on their end the city had to deal with of you know just that whole legality that goes along with that but strictly i was not hired for that department simply because i was a white male and so it just it it completely goes to a a level that i think is unacceptable when we're hiring people strictly off of of color race creed you know that whole gamut and we're not getting the best applicants just because of that checkbox to be checked um, and that's something yeah, I think I totally that the fire agree. service needs to address as a whole. I, I don't know personally if that's happening as much anymore. Well, and you know, I think it goes into, uh, you know, some of those biases, right? Conscious or unconscious. We know that there's, there's, uh, there's parts of America that it's like, you know what? I, I don't, I don't think a woman should be a firefighter. We know that that's out there. Mm-hmm. Now, they're not going to say that while they're in uniform because they know that the dangers of saying that. But when they sit down in that interview panel and they get a female in front of them, they're going to grade them a certain way. For sure. Right? Uh, I don't think, I don't think that, uh, uh, and this is maybe even sadder, is I don't think that that person of color belongs uh, where I live or in my uniform. Now, they're not going to say that either. But then that's a very obvious bias. Right? right. But then you get some of the unconscious ones. Right, where maybe people just don't feel comfortable around certain groups, and they're not going to say anything, and they really want to try to do the best, but that bias, that unconscious bias, kind of gets in there, and they grade lower on that interview based on a bias that they don't even know is, is that they have. Mm-hmm. Right. For sure. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's um, yeah, man, it's it's uh, uh, it's it's a can of worms, man. It's a can of worms, and it's and I think. I think that you're seeing some positive stuff and I'm starting to see some positive stuff um, uh, for all the right reasons. I think, I think, uh, uh, I'll tell you, 
you know, it's no secret that the physical agility test was geared for many, many, many years towards men. And there are some places, heck, Castle Rock in Colorado used to call their agility the rock. They send people to a hospital. I took that one. I almost passed out. And I was in shit kicker shape. And I was done that agility, and I thought I was going to lose it. Um, I ended up on the front page of their little local newspaper. Don't remember the guy taking the picture, but I am grunting it out at the very last uh, uh, part of the whole event. Um, And I was on the verge of passing out. And so they were geared towards 200-pound men with biceps, right? And And it just, well, that's great. I think that's... It's serious. We do. We are here for them, right? This is about rescue. And in the end, it, it's about us saving people right. on the on the fire ground, especially. But you can get an auto X and you know all that kind of stuff. But in the end, it's about saving people, and and I get that. But we also know that between body mechanics and teamwork, I mean, if you if the one that drove me nuts was I'm not going to hire a woman. She'll never pull me out of a fire. What the hell are you doing in that fire on your own? Right? <laughs> yeah. First of all. Second of all, if she's going in on her own, what the hell is she doing in going in on her own? Or is she on a lit team that is one person writ? Or whatever. I mean, you can just, you can dissect it. I mean, it, come on. Stop, stop the bullshit. You just don't like the idea of a woman in uniform because this, this is a man's, was a man's world. And so I, and so God bless groups, special groups like women who face down physical agility tests that were geared for men and still kicked it fast. Tell me you don't want that person on your crew. Oh, straight up. Right? We talk about resilience and grit and, and, and facing adversity. We talk about all that stuff being needed. And here's somebody that's an embodiment of it, but we maybe don't hire them because they look a certain way. For sure. Yeah, I, I mean, I I'll that's be the my, first one to tell point. you some of the best females I've ever had uh, or best firefighters I ever had were females. I'll be the first one to tell you that. Um, and it was – there was a lot of body mechanic uh, things that we needed to work through. I mean, you take a, a five five buck 40 female and put her on a two-and-a-half – uh yeah, we're gonna have to work through some shit. She's gonna have to learn. You can't you can't <laughs> yeah. hold it the same way that I can. Um and and that's that's simple comes back to training and that's simple things of as a crew learning how to utilize that person. But I'll tell you that same firefighter will be the first person I'll put their ass in an attic before I'm climbing my big ass up in the attic. Uh, I mean it just it's and I love the thought of of people getting out of their own way. And learning and getting back to the time period where we used to stack crews based on needs instead of stacking crews based on bias or buddies or even certifications. Because on certain crews, I mean, you you want the big 6'2", 300-pound guy for your forcible entry and hose mechanics. But you need that little person to get in the attic or to, to do the extrications that can climb in those little bitty holes or the confined space rescues like there's th- certain things that you need that you get from certain people. And I just think that it's, it's pretty crazy that uh, people would go and, and forget about that fact and go more on the mindset of, uh, well, I just don't like that person. You know, I come from a, from a hockey area, right? I mean, well, it's Canada. So we, we live and breathe it up there. So you're putting a hockey team together. 
What are you going to have a, you know, you got 20 people on the team. You're going to have 18, 18 defensemen. <laughs> right. You know, yeah, one, one, 18 defensemen, one goalie and what? No, you don't. You got you've different people doing different things, filling different roles based on different skill sets. Right. Absolutely. And, and, and within that, you foster them. Oh, you're a defenseman. We're going to hook you up with a defense coach. All right. Or you want to be a good defenseman. You take yourself your, or your dad or mom takes you um, to a weekend uh, defense clinic, defense clinic, because you take your skill set that you're very good at and you grow within that. Right. Um, there's no reason why you can't. That's why I love things that are specific, like, uh, like, like truck academies. Like I've always wanted to go to the Fresno truck Academy which apparently is just a killer. It's, uh, there's some great ones out there, but Fresno, kind of my neck of the woods a little bit. Um, and, uh, and I've always wanted to go to that one. Now, first of all, because uh, I was, <laughs> I, at, at my best, I was maybe a mediocre firefighter, right? And I wanted to get better, to tell you the truth. But, you know, so all these truckies go to a truck academy. They're, they're, you know, they're taking their skill set and they're getting even better. Um, so yeah, you know, when you take a look at uh, diverse teams and how that just makes the whole team better, amen to that. I, I think you, I think you hit the nail on the head there. For sure, that's. Uh, I mean, that's something I've always just been uh, really pretty passionate about. And then going back to what you were saying with uh, even with the females, females need to understand that they have to have the impeccable character as well. Uh, one thing that gives the females a bad reputation and I, and I have several lined up to come on this show that are going to actually have these conversations. Some of those reputations they earned. <laughs> and so guys are fearful so guys are- and they don't, you know, they don't want to have necessarily the, uh, the badge bunny style female in the station. That's going to cause a lot of trouble. And I, I can't even be mad about yeah. that because it's something that we've all dealt with, we've all seen. And so it comes back to having that impeccable character and understanding that you're there to do a job and you need to turn off all that other mess. And if that's in your character, that that other mess is what you're looking for, then you don't need to be in this job. It, it's like bringing barrel racers into the, into the, uh, into the, into the bankhouse in Yellowstone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. uh, those people are out there. Those people are definitely out there. Absolutely. Yeah, I totally agree. That's that's funny. Um, man. Uh, <laughs> so this this is good. This is shaking out to be a two parter <laughs> or one of your longer one of your longer podcasts. I hope we still have everybody's attention because um, I'm loving this conversation. The whole topic is something that we can absolutely uh, dive in even further on, but I uh, I won't take up too much more of your time today, but I do definitely want you to give the, the solid rundown on, on what FireEdge.com is all about and what it actually is, you know, 100% of what you do, and that way the guys know where, where to go, where to look for you, and what they're going to get. So if you want to give this the, a good hard rundown on that, and then we'll wrap this show up. Absolutely. Um so first of all, uh, anybody can reach me. Um, I'm going to throw my cell out there because uh, that's, you know, who I first heard giving his cell out on a podcast of all people was Bobby Halton. Um, and I don't for a second count myself uh, uh, 
a quarter, a tenth of what that gentleman uh, represented or what he was. But I love the idea that he wasn't afraid to throw his um, cell number right out there. Uh, and that is actually how I ended up being able to talk to him eventually. So my cell number is uh, area code 519-384-3072. Um, you can find me uh, online. Just punch in Fire Edge, E-D-G-E, like the edge of the sword. Uh, Fire Edge, Dave Robertson, and that'll drop you right into the Fire Edge site. Uh, there's a direct email link there, um, or you can just cut and paste the uh, email, um, and you can find me on LinkedIn, too. Those are kind of the best ways to find me. I'm on social media elsewhere, but but not nearly as much as, as that. Um, in terms of what I'm about, um, if, uh, you know, if you're a recruit that's trying to find your way uh, in getting, getting hired, um, maybe getting frustrated by the process a little bit, um, or you're brand new at it. I mean, even if, you know, I get, I love the people that call me and say, I want to be a firefighter. I don't know what to do. What's my first step. And I'll, we'll talk about that. Um, but, uh, but if you're a recruit that wants to get hired and you want to get hired based on who you really are and why you really doing this, why you really want to be in uniform and you want to actually kind of discover really why you want to be in uniform, uh, reach out to me if you're a firefighter or a lieutenant who's moving into an officer, company officer's role, captain's role. Um, I, I work the assessment center as well. Assessment centers are different all across America. Sometimes it's an interview and a test and, uh, and a sign-off book. Sometimes it is all that and, uh, and two or three days of an assessment center of inbox exercises and, and scenarios and uh, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, so work you through that and, uh, and captains wanting to become chiefs, um, what it is that you need to do in terms of your education, your resume, um, what it's going to look like in your particular assessment center for a chief. Uh, and of course there's different kinds of chiefs, right? You got battalion assistant chiefs, deputy chiefs, or the chief chief and what all that means and how I can uh, help you uh, get those bugles on your, on your collar. So, uh, so that's what I do and that's how you can get a hold of me. Uh, and, and Heath, if I could, if I could take a second to say one cool thing, yeah, go uh, ahead. If you don't mind, yeah, go ahead, absolutely. So, you know, we were talking about women in the fire service, and and there's an absolute badass. Uh, she's with the FDNY. Her name is uh, Michelle Fitzsimmons, um, and I think she is the second, only the second uh, female to reach battalion chief or higher in the FDNY. And she's now a deputy chief. She's rising the ranks. Um, and she is, she's funny as hell, smart as hell, but she grinded it out um, in, in busy houses uh, in, in New York, in Manhattan. So she's, she's also, you know, real trial, trial by fire. And she was telling me once about how in the FDMY they have a thing where, uh, you know, they usually you're with one house for a long time, but you'll pick up overtimes or you'll cover somebody at a different house. And, uh, you know, so you're, you know, you're at, you're, you know, 128 truck and you move over to 10, 10 engine or something like that for a shift. And you see a guy or a girl that you haven't seen in a while. And the first thing they'll ask you is, so are you studying? Are you studying? And all around the FDNY, you know, that great old fire department, I brought them up a lot and I, you know, I shouldn't name other ones cause 
you know, North America is littered with great, great fire departments, but, you know, this just happens to be an FBMY thing. If they point at each other and say, are you studying? And it's just this general calling each other out. Are you fucking reading? Are you doing something else? Are you not sitting in the black chair? I don't care if you're going to spend 30 minutes watching YouTubes on how to, you know, some new possibilities on hose hose loads or how to deploy properly. Or I forgot how to throw a 24 solo. I don't care what it is. Right. Are you studying? And I think you need to ask yourself that. Right. And start everybody that's listening, start challenging each other. Are you studying? Are you studying to become a Lieutenant, a captain, a chief? You're a brand new guy. What are you studying? Right? Do you really know what SOPs or SOGs? Do you really know what rules and regs? Do you know what our MOU is? We've got a collective bargaining agreement coming up for our union. Do you know what that means? Hmm. Are you studying? I love it. In this business, we pull hose all day long. Yes. I think that any company officer or captain that does not have his or her crew out at least once a day Doing something. I don't care what it is. I love the empty the rig drill is my favorite, which is throw it out of the backyard, open up every cabinet, everybody touches every damn tool once. Empty the rig. Half an hour. If you're not a company officer that's that's not doing that, you should be. That's part of the job. Another part of the job is reading and studying. You are not going to get better if you don't get your nose in a book, period. It's the way it is. Do you, uh, as far as the reading and stuff, is it just primarily uh, fire service material, or are you talking about just reading in in, in general, whether it's leadership books, whether it's just, uh, just good literature as a whole, just to expand your brain? What exactly? Are you- <laughs> so here's why I'm laughing when you ask me that. Right up my feet, under my desk, I just happened to grab this bag of stuff. Right, Coach. Uh, sorry. Um, Dave Anderson, Becoming a Leader of Character, Pride and Ownership by Rick Lasky. Um, I've got a track of fire engineering magazines. Uh, I don't even hear them dropping. And then I've got a book by Sebastian Younger called Tribe, right? Mm. And then I've got, um, by uh, the United States Secret Service, Mass Attacks in Public Spaces. (laughs) I mean, you know what? You cannot, and that's just me just grabbing stuff. Um, You cannot possibly read enough. You cannot possibly watch enough. Be careful about what you're reading, right? Or especially the YouTube thing. Right. Um, you know, I could I could actually put a camera on me at the end of this, this podcast, put a camera on me and talk about how, um, you know, eating fish food is now the best way to cut 5% body fat. <laughs> Trust me, I'm a former athlete, right? And yes. you know what'll happen? I'll get 38,000 hits. And people start eating fucking fish food. <laughs> so you got to be careful with the YouTube stuff. I completely agree. Yeah, 100%. You're spot on with that. <laughs> and don't eat fish food, okay? Yeah. But yeah, in terms of specific stuff, I think my answer is no. I mean, uh, and, and teamwork and leadership lessons you know, great leadership lessons can come from, it doesn't have to be the fire service, right? Mm-hmm. Military, police, volunteer corps, EMS, um, or great organizations, Starbucks. Starbucks, I mean, 
this is a company. Why the hell do you think you see every every person that you go to a local Starbucks and they're smiling behind that counter while they're working? Mm-hmm. Yeah, for us down here, it's it's it's, uh, it's Chick Fil A. I mean, Chick Fil A is like the Chick-fil-A. epitome of uh, <laughs> they're they're literally the epitome of uh, customer service and and um, efficient. Uh, at what at their craft? I mean that that's for us down there. I use them as an example. I I wish that uh, people would hire them in our government to come run some of these government agencies because that would probably yeah. uh, that would help out a lot on the finances and the wasted time. Uh, and I completely agree with you as far as the reading. I, I cheat a little bit because of my my commute. One of the big things that I do on my commute. I started ten years ago. I don't listen to the same old music over and over and over again. I listen to audiobooks and podcasts. And I'm selective mm-hmm. about the podcast. Yeah. I don't listen to your typical dumbass whatever. I, I listen to, to interviews with, with people, and that's honestly how I learn is listening to all kinds of different interviews with people, whether it's on, you know, Sean Ryan show is one of my, my favorite podcasts. I listen to Andy Frisella, uh, a little bit of Joe Rogan. Really, I'm, I'm kind of selective on which guests, if he has a guest on there or something that I'm interested in. But as far as like some of the comedy uh, comedian people he has on, I, that's not necessarily what I listen to. But I listen to a lot of audio books. I mean, what I'm listening to right now is uh, Ulysses S. Grant memoirs. And just... Mm-hmm all that and so i completely agree with you if just getting out of your own way put the damn netflix down or the bullshit youtube down and start watching videos or audiobooks or reading of shit that's either other people's lives and lessons that they learned or even real school type textbooks and everything like that i i think that that is what guys should be doing to utilize their their spare time completely i agree wholeheartedly there yeah, you know it's it's amazing. I uh, in uh, somebody posted something in uh, I think it's Firefighters Book Club, which is run by uh, Jesse Crudalty, and uh, and this guy just took a photo and he just said, "This is my collection of books on building construction in the fire service," and it's it's gotta be I, mean, I don't know fifty books. I'm thinking there's not like there's fifty books on building construction in the fire service. So I zoom in on the photo and sure enough it isn't. There's books in there on architecture and building types and laying concrete and foundations and like this guy takes a deep dive. So it doesn't have to be if you stick with everything they just sort of like, like I am only gonna read I'm only gonna read Brendan's book on construction. That's a really important one. That should be top of your list. Mm-hmm. What else are you digging into? Mm-hmm. Right? You can actually expand into into areas that don't exactly feel right, then I'll be damned if I don't get great lessons like, like you're getting lessons from Chick-fil-A and you're getting lessons from Starbucks. I mean, the fire service, they've never been in uniform. They're, they're 22-year-old kids behind yeah. that counter. Yeah. What am I learning? Straight up. Learning most everywhere. of them, honestly, a lot of them know how to communicate better than a lot of firefighters do as far as being able to... to- <laughs> To take orders, perform tasks, uh, you know, communicate and have good customer service. I mean, they're they're embedded, and you're right. I mean, some of them are high school kids, and they do better than some of these uh, chief officers that I know. <laughs> that as far as communicating and being able to uh, to yeah. have a, a a good commanding presence for sure. So they're doing something right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Anyways, awesome. man. Well, I'll, uh, I won't take up too much more of your time today. You got any, uh, you didn't mention, are you on uh, Facebook, Instagram, anything like that? 
I, you know, sort of, but really, you know, the best way to find me, um, is, is LinkedIn, which and one of the reasons why I'm on LinkedIn is it's the last place where, uh, people are actually there. Like this is a business platform. Good. And they're mostly there for that. Right. Right. Um, yeah, it's mostly uh, job related you, you there. Know, yeah. Job work, uh, professional development, that sort of thing. Um, it doesn't mean that the other social media platforms are not important because they are. And I think that, you know, you can do your own, you know, if you need to start off on something that you feel safe in Facebook and stuff, and I'm on there both as a person and as fire edge, but I've got very little on there currently as fire edge. Again, best way is to punch in fire edge, Dave Robertson online and just reach out to me that way. Great. All right. Well, uh, I have one uh, closing question for you. The guys, I, I told them, uh, the crews, that, uh, that my crew, I, that I had you coming on the show, and they wanted to ask, uh, wanted me to ask you if you wear one of those funny California helmets. <laughs> yeah, the, 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 the walking penis. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so that was maybe not. That wasn't cool. That wasn't cool. Uh, oh, man. Um you know, I'll, uh, okay, first, I did, yes. Second, no longer. Um, so you've got the L.A. City ones, which I swear to God, if you went to Walmart and got a Halloween uniform, firefighter's uniform, uh, you'd probably have a better helmet than those things. I, I, don't, know, I don't know how those are in FDA standard. Um, there's the uh, 360 uh, structural uh, by Cairns, which you see, uh, that's what Cal Fire uses. Um, and a lot of other places in California. Uh, and I've had, at the same time, I've had both that and my old Ben Franklin, my old Ben Franklin lowrider. Um, and, uh, and you would think that the Ben Franklin would be way less comfortable. That, uh, that uh, Cairn 360, I mean, it just, it felt like someone put a cinder block on my head. It's really, it's not engineered well or anything, in my opinion, so... No, I no longer wear that. Uh, give me, give me an old, old school duck bill, and I'm, and I'm happy. Oh, all right, you make all the Texas boys proud of that. <laughs> when I told them that, <laughs> that you were, uh, you were from, uh, you were out there in California, they were like, "Oh, you got to find out if he wore one of them funny looking helmets." Oh no! Oh he's any from Canada. He's gonna be, he's gonna be a bedwetting liberal. He's gonna talk funny. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, too uh. funny. That's one of those. Uh, that's one of those bias right there. You're talking about. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. No oh, man. But, but anyway, well, thanks so much for having me on. I, I really, really appreciate it. Um, thanks to all the cowboys that are listening as well. Am I right to call them cowboys? Yeah, Does that yeah. Sound right? If they're earning it, yeah. If they're if they're earning it. Uh, one thing that I you know I try to tell people, being as as I was raised you know, truly in, in the culture of the, you know, Western culture, rodeo and, and, and truly cowboy. And, uh, one thing about it, and, and you ask anybody that, that I'm not talking about the guys that show up at a rodeo once a year and wear the fucking cowboy hat backwards. I'm not talking about those assholes, but guys that truly earn wearing a damn cowboy hat. Um, it's something that you earn every single day, earning and, and having the title of cowboy. That's something that you earn every day. You're working for that shit. So, uh, something with this, with the third alarm Cowboys is, you know, I want anybody and everybody to be a part of this team. 
because that's what it is to me. It's it's a big team and it's a movement of guys wanting to make a difference in the fire service. But it's something that you got to earn every single day, and it's through making the best decisions that you can to do right by other people. Um, that's what it's truly mm-hmm. all about for me. We all screw up. I, I've been a screw up majority of my life. I've been a screw up, and I'm still am probably ninety percent of every single day. But I try to make good decisions and I try to do right. And that's truly is if you go and look at what uh, the history of a cowboy is. You know, they didn't most old school cow driving. Uh, you know, real Western cowboys uh, from hundred plus years ago. They didn't own anything. Uh, you had your ranch bosses that owned shit, but the day the day hands they own they might own their horse, but they own their saddle and what was in their damn saddle pack, and that's it. the 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 clothes on their back, mm-hmm. the gun that they wore, that was it. And the only thing that um that they truly were proud of was their work ethic and their word. That was all they had on this on this planet. Uh, their work ethic and their word is what kept them afloat. That's what kept them a job, uh, kept a roof over their head when whenever they needed it, uh, was strictly that. And so that's really what cowboy means to me um, is is just having that good moral uh, character. And you all, everybody screws up, everybody makes makes mistakes. You know, we get drunk, we do dumb shit, and we fight, and all that stuff. And that's what cowboys have done forever and a day. But even up into today. Even going into this whole Yellowstone popularity culture, something that even that show drives at home is strong moral character of fighting for your family, trying to make good decisions, uh, standing up for the little guy, standing up for what's right. Uh, and, and that's really what I, I've noticed from that show is trying to drive home because we are one of the last classes of people that money doesn't mean everything. Your your power and control doesn't mean everything. It's truly your your word and your worth ethic is what means something. So yeah, for all the guys out there that want to be third alarm cowboys and want to be a part of that, just know like that is that is the foundation of this. And then it's bringing that into the fire service because I have such a high standard uh, in my mind and of what firefighters are of being America's bravest. It all goes hand in hand in my mind. So that's the foundation of this. So, yeah, absolutely. Call us Cowboys because those of us that are out here, we make mistakes. We don't always do everything right, but we're trying every single day to be solid on that foundation and just trying to make everything better. I love it. Great words to end by. I got got nothing else to say on that. That's spot on. Awesome. All right, man. Well, uh, we're definitely going to have you on again. I I want to – to have another conversation with you we'll get that scheduled because uh it's it's great talking to you and i really appreciate you taking the time out of your day to to get on this show and and share your words of wisdom with all of our listeners and see if we can make a difference i thank you so much for the opportunity if you're you're doing great stuff by putting this up there i really appreciate the chance awesome man all right well uh guys that's the show i uh i'm gonna wrap up with that And we'll see y'all in the next one.
Put you right back in your place Just like a whaler said